So we've got an interesting night planned tonight. Uh, Jim Mars is going to be joining the program after the first bottom of the hour break. And he's got some insight into the Falcon 9 rocket explosion that happened on September 1st. So that's going to be interesting to talk about that uh, with him. I can't wait to get into that. Um, and a couple of couple of interesting items I discovered today uh, in doing my research for the program. Uh, if you can make it over to my Facebook page, there's an interesting video uh, that just turned up, well, a couple of days ago, September 26th, this video surfaced, and it shows what can only be guessed at as an unidentified flying object. For right now, it's unidentified. There's a couple of interesting aspects about this video, though. Uh, first of all, if you go to my Facebook page, and, and you, it's the first post right up at the top. And uh, this video was captured by the South Wales Police, uh, like I said, just a couple of days ago, on an infrared camera. Now, here's the interesting thing. This object could not be seen by the naked eye. They would look in the camera, look away out into the sky, and okay, this is showing up on infrared. It's not uh, visible at all by the naked eye. Now, they were flying at about 1,000 feet over the Bristol Channel, uh, 9.30 p.m. local time, Saturday, uh, September 24th is when the video was captured. It was uh, released on September 26th, and, you know, toward the bottom of the article, there is a, a video by Secure Team 10, which we all know are absolute, utter, and total frauds. So please ignore that, <clears throat> because the video I'm talking about, like I said, was captured by the South Wales police in their helicopter on an infrared camera. And it is, it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. I'd like you, if you can, make it to my Facebook page and take a look at the video. I'd like to know what you think about it. Uh, it's a short video. And uh, turns out the South Wales police filmed this object, whatever it is, for about seven minutes and then uh, released the video in a tweet. We get our news from tweets now. Do you believe this? It's true. So they released this in a tweet with a little uh, alien emoji and said, got any suggestions for what this might be? Uh, some people suggested it could have been a balloon. I'm telling you, this does not look like a balloon, certainly not a weather balloon, uh, or they said might be a Chinese lantern. Well, okay, that's a good, uh, that's a good guess, except a Chinese lantern, you would be able to see that without an infrared camera. Also, the object was traveling against the wind, so... That rules out Chinese Lantern. And, you know, last night with Gary Hesseltine, uh, the oftentimes I'll, I'll speak with my guests uh, for a few minutes off the air after the program. And uh, something he brought up was, hey, you know what? I've been going out looking at the sky with infrared. And I see uh, he said at one time he caught uh, 50 unidentified objects right over his yard. In 50 minutes. So he was just saying, hey, I know you're, you're going out to watch the sky every night. You might want to get uh, an infrared 
binocular or monocular or whatever and go out and look up at the sky because there are uh, apparently many, many objects up there that can't be seen except through infrared. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then when a listener by the name of Susan uh, sent me this article today, thank you very much, Susan, um, then that came to mind again. Wow. Okay. Gary Hesseltine is obviously onto something here. Um, interestingly enough, there was another woman in February in this same area who she was just taking pictures uh, with her children and her friends along uh, Severn Beach in the area. And uh, she took a photo of the view. And by accident, by sheer accident, she captured something strange in one of her photos. And that's in the same area. Uh, she didn't notice it until they were looking at the photographs um, later on. And she also doesn't really believe in extraterrestrials. Uh, her name is Fiona Powell. And now with this photo that she has accidentally captured, she's starting to question, right? Starting to question whether or not uh, there could be extraterrestrials uh, traveling in our skies. So again, if you can make it over to my Facebook page, uh, and take a look at that video. I certainly encourage you to do so. It's really interesting. Some have even said that this could be the best evidence of extraterrestrial activity captured um, in quite a long time. Because there are so many hoaxes out there. Uh, so I found that interesting. And on over to MidnightInTheDesert.com. Uh, speaking of, speaking of UFOs. Well, Google Earth is now showing a giant new hangar recently built at Area 51. Uh, apparently, you can take a look at Area 51 through Google Earth, which I find rather uh, sloppy of Area 51. But this new hangar, it really stands out because it's 210 feet wide by 250 feet long. And I find this strange here. Uh, it's, it, it says that the height cannot be discerned accurately, but it is the tallest building in Area 51. So that's contradictory. Doesn't make too much sense. But this is a huge, huge hangar that they say uh, does stand out and look um, quite unconventional. And if we are to believe what David Adair says he saw, at Area 51, and that man has no reason or cause to lie to us uh, or, or make up a story like that, then it really makes a person wonder what's going on inside this hangar, right? So I find that very, very interesting. And uh, if you would like to comment on any of these uh, stories for this first half hour, you're welcome to do so. Uh, I do want to mention, before I start picking up any calls here, that... Uh, well, the government is now funded through December 9th. <laughs> uh, 1.1 billion has been funded uh, to battle the Zika virus. This was a part of the budget that they had to approve, and I'm glad that they did. Um, and uh, let me see here. <clears throat> Looks like uh, there's been an agreement made uh, between Democratic advocates and Republicans uh, to get money for the Flint water crisis. This is also uh, this is going to happen after the election. So it's 
not a part of this budget, but they're going to approve those funds after the election. So that's good. And I hope that the Republicans do keep their word because Flint needs that money to solve their water problem. Uh, Included in the spending bill that's keeping the government open until December 9th uh, is also $500 million for rebuilding uh, Louisiana after those floods. So... You know, I hope that that will definitely do some good uh, for the people down there. But even more importantly, I mean, there are problems all through the country that need Congress to take action and make some moves and get these situations uh, funded so people can get past some of the destruction we've seen from natural disasters, fires. Zika virus certainly needs attention. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And it makes me wonder if... Uh, <laughs> That representative, uh, Representative Jolly, I believe, who threatened to release a hundred mosquitoes taken from Florida into the House. Remember that? I wonder if that had anything to do uh, with getting this funding all zipped up and sent on over. It's going to be sent um, to the House to get that, get it, their approval, and then it will be sent to President Obama for for his signature. So, so that's good. They're taking some action. Yeah, it's good to have good news once in a while, right? All right. So, uh, definitely, if you can, you want to see a good video of what could be an extraterrestrial craft. Go on over to my Facebook page and take a look at it. It's the post right up at the top. Uh, and let us see what awaits for us on the telephones here. Uh, we'll go right to line three, and you are on the air. Welcome to the show. Uh, good evening, Heather. How are you? Well, I'm uh, all tooled up for an interesting night. How about yourself? Well, I'm fine. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, that Bob Lazar told me was that they he would go over to McCarran, uh, at the uh, private terminal across from the passenger terminal mm-hmm. where the Janet flights come out of. Mm-hmm. And we used to listen, as we were taxiing out for takeoff, we used to listen to the Janet flights talking with air traffic control. And once they got airborne, they just, they, uh, it cleared them to go over to uh, some sort of secure communications. But the, if you look at that, the uh, Google Earth uh hangar that's down at the south end of uh, the runway Mm -hmm. it's on a taxiway and it's in a position that you could taxi like a 737 over there and disembark passengers onto a bus etc so they could go down to uh, papoose dry lake bed and if you'll notice there is a road that comes out just right next to where the hangar is, and it does eventually wind its way down to uh, Papoose Dry Lake Bed as well as up into the main uh, containment area of Area 51. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I did notice that. Uh, It does look big enough for a large aircraft to taxi right right. inside the hangar, Uh, and why would they need to do that, though? Well, so that satellites can't see people getting off an airplane and getting onto buses and going somewhere else. In other mm. words, it, it makes it more secure. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. But uh, it it I've seen things like that go on in, in other places. So 
Mm-hmm. It's possible. I don't know. It's just an idea. Well, they certainly, you know, they're probably going to have people visiting Area 51 that they probably would rather we don't know who they are. I suspect that that's probably exactly correct. Uh, correct. And and if you look at where the Papoose Dry Lake bed is, down south of, of Area 51, actually a little bit to the southwest. Mm-hmm. Then And then if you go down below that to the southeast, you can see a, a big dry lake that, that looks like a dog bone. Mm-hmm. And that is where uh, Charles Hall uh, had his encounters with, uh, with the tall whites. And their, and their base is on the mountain between... Papoose Dry Lake Bed and the Dog Bone Lake. Oh boy! And Charles Hall is is one that I do want to get in touch with, and I would love to have him on the program uh, to talk about the encounters that he has had, uh, just to get as close as we can to the truth of what's going on at Area Fifty One. Well, and and he was he did never have to sign a secrecy agreement. I think it had to do with him saving the ambassador's daughter of the tall whites who got lost out in the desert, and he went out and found her and returned her to her mom. And and after that, he was given permission to go anywhere in the restricted area so long as he was by himself. <laughs> he got himself an all access pass. <laughs> to right, the place exactly. we all wish we had an access pass to. Um, well, that, yeah, I have been wanting to get in touch with him. So I, I will uh, make a stronger effort to get in touch with him to see if he wouldn't mind coming on the program to talk about what he knows that's going on out there. Um, really, really interesting. And if you can get to my Facebook page, uh, you probably get a kick out of the video that was uh, Recently released by the South Wales Police, you should you should go check that out if you can. Oh, cool! Did you see the Did you see the video that was done on YouTube about uh, the Clinton uh, Bernie Sanders debate where he uh, solves the problem? Uh, <laughs> the no, I didn't. I I got it in an email today, and I and I about fell out of my chair. Oh, well, forward that to me, if you would. Forward that to me. I'd love to see it. And uh, thank you very much for the call. Um, he he brought up politics, boy, and that is everyone's favorite subject I have now learned. Um, oh, and he brought up Hillary Clinton. <laughs> oh, well, recently on my Facebook page, people are, uh, oh, boy, really, really just getting heated over the coverage, uh, over the debates. So I thought I would come on the air tonight and let everybody know that, you know what, I I guess I finally have seen reason and I will be supporting Hillary Clinton for President of the United States. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, it doesn't matter how much badgering I get, how much hate mail I get, or how many comments I get. Uh, of people saying, "Well, I'm just gonna huff and puff and never listen to your program again." No, I'm I I have what's called a spine, and I have uh, my opinion on it, and I'm gonna support I'm gonna support Trump because I want something different in the White House. But I have a lot of friends who disagree with that, and we can have discussions over it, and that's okay. 
that is all right. We can disagree. Because do you really want to end friendships and relationships over the election? Because the election soon will be over. And then are you going to have a lot less friends over that? I find uh, that more ridiculous than the arguments over who should be president. Uh, So I will leave it at that because this is not the Dr. Phil show. Uh, But look, let's agree to disagree. Let's discuss it like adults. But don't end relationships over politics. All right. Two line one. You're on the air. Hey, good evening, everybody. And uh, speaking of uh, politics, I I just can't get off that myself. Are you calling me to talk about politics, sir? How dare you? Uh, Well, (laughs) I did did ahead of time uh, while you were talking there. I went to your Facebook page to look at your videos. So I'll talk about politics and that. Uh, And I did see the UFO video. And I'd, I'd say, you know, it's definitely unidentified. And it definitely, uh, when they say it's invisible, it means you can't uh, see it But with the naked eye. But that, that also is at nighttime. It's 9.30 p.m. So anything up in the air, you know, without navigation lights is going to be invisible. Uh, it, it, there's no way to tell how fast it's moving or how big it is or, uh, you know, it could just be just about all kinds of uh, things. I would guess that it's... a some type of object that uh, is either a living biological uh, thing with the camera not focused well or, uh, you know, some other type of uh, human-created heat signature that, you know, it doesn't really – you just can't even tell much about it. Well, know, if there, if it was a craft made by man, I would think that it would have some sort of running lights on it. Um, it would look like something resembles something that man has created, <clears throat> uh, meaning it would have some sort of wing set or be a, a triangular shape like the stealth craft. This is round. This is perfectly round. And it didn't have any lights on it. Couldn't be seen by the naked eye at all. Uh, I would think it would have some kind of running lights on it. Uh, I, uh, uh, again, it could be anything almost in the distance. I mean, we've seen this where they've uh, gotten uh, flare lights, you know, off uh, off uh, platforms and or this or ships or other things. It's because it's just really out of focus. But you know, I'm I'm not going to. Uh, debate it one way or another. I, I certainly wouldn't go so far as to say it's extraterrestrial. It's definitely terrestrial. It's down just a thousand feet off the Earth, and and there's no real. It's it it could be again out of focus. Those UV cameras are not very good with focus to begin with, and uh, so I'm not saying what it is. I'm just saying that it could be so many things. Mm, it, uh, could. it could. It could. Yeah, I wouldn't jump to E.T., that's for sure. Well, I don't know that I would either, but it certainly doesn't look like anything we've made, and it doesn't look like anything I recognize, though I'm not an expert on aircraft. It still looks uh, quite odd, quite odd. I'd be interested to hear from pilots, actually, to look at the video and see what they think it is. Uh, These helicopter pilots from the South Wales police, they have no idea what it is. Yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to politics, uh, and uh, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, Julian Assange is uh, started to release some uh, stuff in his uh, YouTube uh, 
uh, YouTube uh, site where he's uh, letting it kind of be known. He's not he's not released any of the uh, uh, emails or whatever the hacking was that he has on Clinton, but he's he's put out some recent interviews that he's done. So it looks like I'm guessing uh, maybe next week he's going to uh, within a couple of weeks he's going to do the document dump whatever. That's going to be. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for the call. Uh, definitely looking forward to see what Julian Assange has uh, because he's obviously, well, according to him, he's sitting on some sort of a bombshell that would be enough to indict Hillary. So I, I do not know. I don't know. But yeah, this political season, boy, has gotten people absolutely fired up. Uh, to the point where they're, it's splitting households, causing friends to end their friendships and everything else. I would just hope that we could have spirited discussions about all this and, uh, and still be friends by the time the election's over because, boy, the news is constantly full of all kinds of things that we can talk about and argue about, but I wouldn't want to lose anybody as a friend over it. Uh, anyhow. Over to line two. You're on the air. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. How are you doing? Well, the night is young. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing outside. I just saw an awesome shooting star. It was bright orange, but um, I saw your video also while well, I followed the link to to YouTube and watched a couple of the clips while I was on hold. Um, the uh, it, That was in infrared or... Right, they said it was a, a FLIR camera. Is that correct? I didn't see on the, the actual page what kind of camera it was, but I'm yes. guessing that's what it was. Yep, those were uh, infrared thermal cameras. Okay, yeah. It would have been nice if it was one of those ones that had the orange and the red hues, you know, where it showed the cold. But, I mean, I'm get the like, on that kind, the, the white's hot and the black is colder. Right. So it looks like in the middle of it, it's hot. And on the outside, it's cold. It's not shaped like, you know, uh, I mean, it's perfectly round which is odd. It's not a hot air balloon because that would be kind of more oblong, I would think. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't tell if it's moving or not and how big it is, how far away it is. But it's definitely odd. I mean, I've seen some strange things in the sky, but... Um, yeah, well, add to that that uh, it, months earlier in February, I believe, uh, if I get to the article here, I can see. Uh, yeah, it, back yeah, in that, February... That one in Bristol, isn't it? A pardon? Didn't they catch like a triangular-shaped one in that same area? Uh, no, this looked like a disc-shaped craft caught on a photo uh, just by accident in the same area. See, I saw one that was like a triangle in the same area also when I was looking through the stuff. Oh, really? Um, and I, I mean, where I am, I've seen I've seen triangular-shaped craft that are that you could see the stars through. Um, my wife and I both saw. A couple of those, one of them right over our house, um, and I mean, you could it kind of shimmered, you know, like heat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Like when it passed through, and you could see the stars through, but you could still see the outline of like a triangle. Oh, um, that is really strange. And then um, I guess also about uh, Hillary and Trump, I'd like to say is that I mean, yeah, you know, just I think that uh, Hillary Clinton should be. I mean, she's not eligible to run, I mean, any kind of form of, like, government position as far as I'm concerned because she should, I mean, she's a felon. She just hasn't been convicted of any of them, um, her and her husband both. I mean, she's, she's uh, colluded with him to suppress rapes and sexual assaults 
and not to mention all the stuff she did while she was a senator and secretary of state. I mean, she's broken multiple federal rules. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, while she's broken. Uh, yep, it's just, look, it's interesting to see how it's all going to play out, right? To say the least, to say the least. Uh, but thank you very much for the call. I wish we had more time. We are out of time. We have got to take a break. And when we come back, Jim Mars will be joining the program to discuss his take on the Falcon 9 rocket explosion. So back in just a few minutes. Well, it's not Friday night and the lights are kind of low, but I just couldn't resist playing that. All right. A native of Fort Worth, Texas, Jim Mars earned a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of North Texas and attended graduate school at Texas Tech in Lubbock. He has worked for several Texas newspapers, including the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, where beginning in 1968, he served as a police reporter and general assignments reporter covering stories locally in Europe and the Middle East. After a leave of absence to serve with the 4th Army Intelligence Unit during the Vietnam War, he became a military and aerospace writer and an investigative reporter. In May 1997, Mars' in-depth investigation of UFOs, Alien Agenda, was published by HarperCollins Publishers. Uh, Mars has been a featured speaker at a number of national conferences, including the annual International UFO Congress, uh, the annual Gulf Breeze UFO Congress as well. Publishers Weekly described Alien Agenda as the most entertaining and complete overview of flying saucers and their crew in years. It has been translated into several foreign languages and has become the top-selling nonfiction UFO book in the world. From 2000 to 2007, he taught a course on UFOs at the University of Texas at Arlington, becoming perhaps the first to teach about UFOs at the college level. An award-winning journalist, Mars has won several writing and photography awards, including the Aviation Aerospace Writers Association National Writing Award and the Newsmaker of the Year Award from the Fort Worth Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. In 1993, Mars received Freedom Magazine's Human Rights Leadership Award. And Jim Mars has appeared on just about every national media outlet there is. Uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, C-SPAN, the Discovery Channel, the Learning and the History Channels, Good Morning America, Geraldo Rivera, Montel Williams, Today, Tech TV, Larry King Live, many other radio programs, and tonight he is here to join me uh, and all of you on Midnight in the Desert. So it's a pleasure and an honor. Welcome to the program, Jim. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Heather. I think it would have been shorter if you'd listed the programs I've not been on. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and the channels that you haven't been on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't think I've been on the Disney Channel. <laughs> well, next time, uh, we'll just take that last paragraph and say, Jim Mars has been on everything except the Disney Channel. <laughs> there you go. And that will that will save me some work. Uh, so, I mean, I know we've got a hot topic to talk about tonight, the Falcon 9 rocket explosion. But, I mean, since I have the opportunity, I can't resist. What did you think about the debate? <laughs> <laughs> well, apart from uh, Hillary Clinton's hand signals that she kept signaling Holt uh, to, you know, to uh, give it to her, uh, I just... Uh, of course, she's had 30 years of uh, to memorize all those platitudes, 
they still sound good. You know, I'll be the first to admit, you know, it's that's kind of like getting up and saying, I'm for God, country, motherhood. You know, who, who, who can argue with all that? But I, I, I was uh, interested to hear Trump say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> between you and your husband, you know, you've been around for 30 years now. How come you haven't done any of that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the hand signal thing, I'm glad that you brought that up. That was brought to my attention uh, last night. And it turns out a few YouTube videos on that have been made, people pointing pointing that out. And those videos are being taken off of YouTube. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, one sent me to a friend, I sent it to a friend, and they, they emailed me back and said, uh, it's gone. And uh, I went and looked, and sure enough, it says fair use or something. I guess, uh, well, first off, who who's going who's gonna to say you're copying my stuff? Because, as I remember, when I looked on the TV guide, uh, it was on, like, every major channel, ABC, NBC, CBS, they all carried it, right? Right. So how do you know <laughs> which one of them says, oh, well, that's cop- our copyrighted material. You can't do that. Exactly. And besides that, the whole country saw it. And besides that, it's to me, it, it, being a journalist, it's fair use comment. They didn't they didn't uh, they didn't uh, copy or, or uh, post the entire speech. They just showed a few little clips. Yeah, it definitely sounds like somebody's trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. Uh, don't don't look at that. Don't look at the man behind the green curtain. Yeah, right. Yeah, and at first I thought, oh come on, this is this is more conspiracy stuff here. Yeah. This is just ridiculous. And then I'm watching the whole thing because hey, I'm not going to let my you know preconceived notions get in the way of checking something out. So I, I'd watch it, and then as things are being pointed out, and it does show that when she would do the hand signal, uh, she would like scratch her face or something, mm-hmm. and we know her face can't be that itchy, uh, mm. then it would be 30 to 60 seconds, and then uh, Holt would toss a softball over right over to her. Right. Um, so I'm going, wait a minute. Unless, unless it was Trump speaking, in which case he would, uh, he would make some uh, comment, some uh, personal opinion. Yes. Hey, the whole thing's about as fair as the uh, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. It's all stacked. It's all a game. It's all a big uh, joke. The thing that concerns me is is that uh, uh, with the exception of CNN, which has always been pro-Clinton, probably gets money from the Clinton Foundation, uh, except for that one, all the other polls showed that uh, indicated that uh, Trump was the winner. Um, and yet, uh, it's interesting because the big national pollsters, you know, who uh, are bound to be looking for that Democratic National Committee money or the Republican National Committee money, uh, uh, they they show that Trump is way ahead. And yet, the national polls all show. It's always real even, you know. It's it's fifty fifty two to forty eight. It's uh, forty six to fifty four, you know. And this worries me, Heather, because it looks like they're trying to instill in everybody's brain the idea that this is going to be a very very close election, and that's what they want because on a close election, they can use their uh, computer voting scams and hacking and. 
all of the little manipulations that they do, and they can fudge the vote, you know, one or two points either way. Mm -hmm. And actually, actually, uh, you know, uh, skew the vote and take it. Uh, But, of course, that's why uh, I don't know. Whoever you're going to vote for, that's fine. But I just wish every person who, you know, who can would go out and vote so that, you know, maybe we could get a big big shift one way or another and then uh, and no because uh you know if everybody went out and voted for uh say trump and then hillary still wins then then it'll be obvious to everybody that the game is rigged right there would be an outcry well one thing i'd like people to keep in mind as we're watching this election we are watching uh the establishment fight someone who's not in the big club <laughs> Hey, I'll give you one better than that. When I see George Herbert Walker Bush, you know, who, keep in mind, started off as a Democrat in Texas when there were no Republicans and then changed parties to Republicans when when the neocons, better known as the National Socialists, got into power, you know, and then he comes in, he's huge, the guy who mentions New World Order, uh, and he says, oh, well, I'll vote for Hillary before I vote for for Trump. And you see all of these uh, former neocons, you know, going, oh, well, I can't vote for Trump. Hey, what this tells me is what we're seeing here, Heather, is the New World Order are showing themselves. The globalists, okay? The people who really don't care about America. We're just one not-so-profitable uh part of the global their global corporate image and their global corporate entity mm-hmm. and uh, as a result uh, when you hear these people who are coming out so vociferously against Trump, then, hey, what you're seeing is the New World Order revealing themselves. And they're flailing. Yes. Flailing right now, because here's a guy who's not in the club, and right. uh, he looks almost unstoppable. They probably thought he would be crushed in the primaries. And, oh, oh, oh no, uh, you guys, we got to right. do something here because well, he's not they've crushed. Got, they've gotten arrogant over the years, you yeah. know. Yeah, uh, they they uh, they really believe now. All they got to do is drag out former presidents, drag out former FBI, CIA chiefs, drag out some of these national security people. Who, by the way, are the ones that got us into Iraq, got us into Afghanistan, got us into Syria, Libya. You know, they've gotten us into this whole mess to begin with. But they really are so arrogant that they thought they all they have to do is bring out the experts, and the experts will say, "Well, well, we really can't uh, tolerate." Donald Trump. He's just doesn't have the qualifications. He's not presidential. He doesn't have the experience. You know, any little any little thing they can come up with, and they thought everybody would fall for it. What they don't realize is the American people are waking up, and they realize they've been conned. You know, both by both Republicans and Democrats. And when you get to certain levels, it's all the same anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading some works by George Green, who was um, a big Republican. And back at the time, Jimmy Carter was running for president, a Georgia Democrat. George Green was flown to Aspen, Colorado, where he met with Henry Kissinger, and he met with uh, Paul Volcker, who was then head of the Federal Reserve System. And it turned out they were trying to recruit him to um, handle the campaign finances for Jimmy Carter. 
And he turned to Paul Volcker and he said, wait, wait, wait. You know, he says, I'm a Republican and you're wanting me to go work for this Democratic presidential candidate. And he said, Volcker put his hand on his shoulder and said, son, we control them both. (laughs) And and my friends, that is the truth. Well, you know, I don't laugh because it's funny. I laugh because it's true. And that's the sad, that sad state of affairs. So, you know, he may not be perfect. Um, I don't think the American people care to have a, a perfect politician in there right no. now. What well, we want. This? How about this? I don't think Trump is, he's certainly not a liberal. I don't even think he may be a true conservative. I think Donald Trump is an entrepreneurial pragmatist. Okay. And that means he uh, looks at a problem. He goes, okay, what do I have to do to correct this? What do I have to do to solve it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe, just maybe, this is what we need in the White House today rather than a politician or some politically correct, uh, you know, wussy. You know, let's get somebody who will get the job done. And he, he, he truly understands. All we hear about Hillary, oh, he sure missed a big opportunity, though. When Hillary Clinton demanded to turn over his uh, tax records, yes, he should have said, "Well, Hillary, I sent them to you in an email." Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> well, and when uh, one of those thirty-three thousand that you uh, that you uh, dumped, yeah, you know. he tried, he tried, but he did miss a big opportunity when she brought up. Well, when cybersecurity threats were brought up, I mean that. To me, yeah. I was yelling at the television, like, here's your chance. They opened the door for you. Go, go get him, man. Uh, he could have brought up her emails. Oh, man, could have crushed her on that. I know. In fact, actually, and this sounds weird because, I, I first off, I'm not a huge Donald Trump fan, okay? Neither I am I. I. Neither I, am I. I. I have lots of qualms about him. But uh, I do think that he is a chance. And uh, with Hillary, we got no chance. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's my so, thing. But what I have noticed here, tell me if you've noticed this or if this, if this is, strikes you. You know, there's a lot of dirt going around on the uh, Clintons. Mm-hmm. And I mean stuff like, well, you know, of course, it's, it's no big secret about Monica Lewinsky, you know, and, and uh, all the picadillos that Bill's had. I mean, he's just run rampant. Uh, in fact, one woman who claims, uh, in fact, won a court judgment uh, against him for uh, rape. Uh, you know, sent uh, a message to Chelsea because she was complaining that the that everybody was uh, trying to drag the Clinton family through the dirt, and uh, she said, uh, "Well, that's because it's true, and your father is a sexual predator." Ooh. You know, so we got all that kind of stuff. Which I, I, we said, leave that alone. I want to know what they're going to do for me, right? I, you know, I, their sex life's up to is that's up to him and his wife. Agreed. But have you noticed that that all the dirt slinging that's gone on has been primarily one way. Uh, there is, like you just said, there is so much you could bring up about the Clintons, both of them, and Donald Trump doesn't doesn't seems to be above that. He doesn't seem to want to get down there and and uh, sling mud, especially sexual innuendos. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. There is a lot of dirt that could be dug up. I mean, if I was him, and I'm not, and thank the lord for that uh that yeah. i'm not uh, right there's you know a reason i'm not in politics i'm just flat not qualified but um he could really dig into how she's got uh 
a third of her campaign being funded by Saudi Arabia. To me, that's a big mark. And her her uh, her marching buddy, Obama, uh, Barack Hussein Obama, uh, has already said he's going to veto the bill passed by Congress and the Senate. To, oh. to uh, where we could actually sue the Saudis because of their involvement in 9-11. Yes. Face it, folks, of those 19 named hijackers, and by the way, seven or eight of those are not even real. Seven or eight of those after 9-11, right after 9-11, both in Saudi Arabia and Europe and other ma- uh, media around the world, they said, no, this guy's still alive. He's over here, and he didn't do it. Okay? So at least half that list of those uh, 9-11 hijackers that the FBI is still trying to tell us did the job. Uh, that's not even the correct names. We don't even know who they were, okay? And and yet we do know that all but two of them were Saudi Arabians, okay? So why can't we sue to find out what was the interest and what was the involvement of Saudi Arabia? And the Congress, the Supreme Court says, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Congress passes the law. And Barack Hussein Obama says he's going to veto it. Right, well, in the first, uh, the first occasion in his uh, administration so far, they are going going to work to overturn that veto, which yes. I find amazing. But here, here we've got Congress agreeing on something, and uh, and they're going to go and overturn, over, try to overturn the veto. So I find that very interesting. Uh, and just that he would veto that, I, I find that uh, an insult to the victims' families. <laughs> well, don't get me started. I, I know, most, I, I know. Most of the things that Barack Obama's done is an insult to Right, I know, I know. And insult to America. Yeah. I mean, uh, what other president would have bowed to the Saudi uh, king? You know, who, who else would have uh, uh, given the jihad sign, hand sign to all of those uh, uh, countries that are so against us? Uh, you know, who, who else would have, uh, you know, when uh, when somebody yells, uh, uh, Akbar, and sets off a bomb, oh, wow, that's not a hate crime. Yeah, that's we not, haven't figured not, out yet if it's a, a... That's not a terrorist. Yeah. That, that's just a lone nut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, uh, you're going to get me into... You've already gotten me into a lot of trouble with all this talk, Jim. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Well, no, you know, nobody wants to hear the truth. <laughs> well, it uh, and the truth hurts, doesn't it? Uh, but we did... Well, what's the one group in, in America that uh, they just constantly vilify and is fair game? The National Rifle Association, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, point to me any one of these shooting sprees, any one of these, any one of these big crimes, any any one of the any point to me any NRA member that's been arrested for a, a violent crime. I, I'm unaware of it. I don't think so. None of them, you know. And yet, that's the one they take uh, shots at, if you don't mind the pun. Oh well, right, uh, and it is an appropriate pun. But no, that headline we've never seen. NRA member uh, goes on shooting spree uh, yeah. for no yeah. reason at all. Yeah. I've, I've yet to see that headline. Uh, well, you know, in Texas we have open carry, which means uh, uh, you're actually it's legal to just pack a gun around. All right, and mm-hmm. I'm finally glad. I'm glad they finally came around and just made that law because uh, number one, <laughs> we've been doing that for years anyway. Okay, <laughs> all you do is watch the old westerns, right? Well, that's what. Made Made Texas. That's what That's made right. the Southwest. That's right. Yeah. So, so the other night we were at a, a an open air theater uh, live performance, and uh, we were sitting there waiting for it to start. And this big guy comes in. And he's got his pretty wife with him and his little daughter. And as he walked past me, <laughs> there's a 
was a, a gun. I couldn't tell what kind it was. It looked like a Glock stuck in the back of his pants, okay? Mm-hmm. And at first, I kind of went, oh, man, that guy's got a gun. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, but, hey, he's just coming in here. He's sitting down in here with his family, you know. And after that, I actually felt good about it. I'm knowing, wow, I feel a little more secure now. Ain't nobody being causing trouble here tonight. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, I, uh, that's another thing. Boy, you're just bringing up all the hot buttons that get me into trouble, Jim. But, no, uh, I, no, I, I no. feel we'll safer. See, we'll see. I'm, hey, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. <laughs> I, I really believe that everybody should be armed so they can protect their marijuana crop. <laughs> so see, I, I'm not either one. I'm kind. I'm just in there. For, well, we're just Americans that uh, want a prosperous and safe society. That's all. But I always feel safer when I'm uh, in an area where I know uh, people are armed because people yeah. are going to they're going to think twice before pulling anything stupid. And if, and they, if they do, do pull something stupid. Hopefully, there'll be somebody there that can put a stop to them. Well, it isn't going to last very long, tell you no, that, uh, in an armed no. society. I always think twice about going to uh, any large cities uh, that have these extreme gun uh, regulations. and, and like uh, very, Chicago. Yeah, well, like yes. Chicago, which yes. has the harshest gun regulations and laws in the whole country and has the most murders. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that right. That's right. Come to Texas. Go to Georgia, Alabama. Uh, you don't see that number of murders in those states. That's right. You don't. You don't. So, and- so this is what gets me. See, I, I'm never. I'm seriously. I'm. I'm not totally liberal. I'm not totally conservative. I. I just try to think straight and try to take. You know, see where the balance is. See what makes sense and what doesn't. But I'll never understand these liberals who scream about gun control and truly want to try to take guns away from everybody, and yet they can't seem to recognize that in the cities like Detroit, Chicago, that in L.A., that have the harshest gun laws, they got the worst crime and the highest murder rates. And the most they, soft that, targets. That ring a bell with them somewhere. Right. Know, they yeah. go, hey, wait a minute, maybe I need to rethink this. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, they have the most soft targets also. Uh, But, you know, there's a different mindset to the West, I guess. Uh, And we still have a lot of that old West. We take care of our neighbors, and that's the way it ought to be everywhere. Right. Yeah. And uh, and we don't mind speaking our mind. And it's just a different mindset. I think we've got some of that old West spirit still alive. Uh, I do. I just, you know, I just want to be left alone. But the problem is. They won't leave you alone. Yeah. You know, you could go you could go climb the highest mountain in the Rocky Mountains and start living in a cave, okay? And I guarantee you within a few months an IRS agent and a preacher will be up there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't leave you alone. Yeah, someone will show up to point out whatever it is you're eating is probably not organic. <laughs> Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, that will come up. Well, actually, we uh, came here tonight to talk about something uh, interesting also. And if knowing you, you'll probably get me into hot water with it, but I don't mind. Uh, The Falcon 9 rocket explosion that took place on September 1st. That is what we we came here to talk about. Um, And look, we got a break coming up here in uh, about a half a minute, so we'll, we'll go to the break. But I understand you have seen the video that shows some pretty unusual activity in the video of the uh, Falcon 9 explosion. Well, it'll it'll go farther than that. Oh, oh, it will. Okay, so brace yourself. All right. Everybody, you hear that? 
when we say, hey, you want to go for a ride on this program, we are not kidding. And we are going for a ride with Mr. Jim Mars tonight, and it's going to be a good one. I mean, we're talking about the man who wrote Alien Agenda. Okay, this is an iconic book. Uh, so, all right, uh, everybody stay right where you are. Let us take a break, and when we get back, we will dive into this Falcon 9 rocket explosion. With Jim Mars, the one and only, and I am Heather Wade. Oh, well, do keep the hate mail coming because it's it's very entertaining. All right. Uh, Jim Mars is my guest tonight, and we've got the Falcon 9 rocket explosion that occurred on September 1st to talk about. Jim has uh, information on that, so I'd like to welcome him back to the show. Uh, Welcome back, Jim. I just watched the video and I did see of the explosion, and I did see something that came into frame very quickly, a small black object that came into frame. Uh, I almost missed it. I had to watch it a few times. Does it seem to come at a downward trajectory? Yeah, it comes from the right side of the screen, and it seems to come up high and then go in low. But it's so quick. Boy, if you are if you don't watch it two or three times, you're going to miss it. Yep, that's true. Well, let me put it this way. If that was just the only thing that's happened... Uh, you know, we could always say, well, you know, space travel, space exploration, especially in the early stages, is dangerous. And, you know, and there's always uh, the possibility that it could be this, could be that. I understand they're looking into it. I also understand that uh, the, uh, the uh, head of SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk, uh, has not ruled out some object coming and uh, hitting it, okay, some foreign object. And he says, but it's just too early in in the investigation. So, um, uh, but what I'm reminded of is that I go all the way back through my career. And I remember in the 70s and and, and late 60s and 70s working at the newspaper, uh, it was kind of funny because we would get word that there was going to be a launch from Cape Carnaveral, and they were going to be putting up another weather satellite or a communication satellite, and those seemed to go off without a hitch. Everything seemed to work just fine. Of course, we had the Challenger explosion. Uh, we had uh, Gr- uh, Grisham and them that got killed when the fire went out of fire. So there's always been some problems. But it was odd that the mundane, usual, ordinary space launches didn't seem to have any problem. But then we get word that there'll be a launch from Canaveral next week, but there won't be any uh, uh, information about it because it's uh, classified or it's military. And those are the ones that seem to have the problem. So that kind of takes me back all the way to the 19, uh, to 1952. Oh. Yes. What I tend to think of as the, the FBI, uh, FBI, the UFO war. Uh, in about 1952, there was a huge raft of sightings and UFO formations flying over Washington, D.C., Okay, and that, that's a whole story. You can read all about that in my book, Alien Agenda. But right after that, the Air Force issued a shoot-down order. They said, if you see a UFO, this was to their fighters, said, if you see a UFO, shoot it down. They want to get a hold of it. They want to know who it was and what they were doing, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, all of a sudden, from uh, June and July 1952, 94 fighter jets were lost worldwide along with 51 of their crewmen, okay? They'd just fallen to the ground. 
two, three at a time sometimes. Uh, and then uh, even the New York Times reported that between 1951 and 1956, uh, 192 aircraft disappeared or, or crashed. Okay? And so what happened then? The U.S. government rescinded the shoot-down order, said, okay, okay, don't shoot at UFOs. If you see a UFO, uh, report it. Okay? And all the air crashes stopped. Oh, well, that's just a little too convenient for my taste. Exactly. Was that in retaliation for our shoot-down orders, and is that what made them rescind the shoot-down orders? And, uh, in fact, and after that, then they modified it, because prior to about 1955-56, airline pilots and military pilots were ordered that if they had a UFO encounter, they were to report it. Uh, well, if it was military, they, was re- they were to report it to their base commander. And if it was a, a commercial airliner, they were supposed to report to their, to their uh, executives there at the airline. And then the government changed that tune. They said, no, 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 no. Said, uh, we, we, we got to uh, try to standardize this. So uh, both military and uh, commercial, if you have a UFO encounter, uh, you have to call Washington and let us know, okay? Well, the airline pilots learned, and I've got a lot of good friends, the airline pilots, they learned real quick, okay? Because if you call, if you got back and you called Washington to their hotline and said, yeah, I had a UFO encounter, the next thing you know, the uh, the guys in the suits are out to see you. They keep you sequestered for two or three or four days. You lose pay. Uh, they try to tell you that you're probably nuts and may need psychiatric help. And, uh, you know, they learn real quick not to report it. Uh, I'll never forget overhearing a uh, air traffic controller in a, a pilot, and this pilot was real excited. He said, this thing's right off my right wing. It's huge. It's glowing. It's a, it's circular. It's keeping pace with me, you know. And then uh, the air traffic controller said, uh, are you reporting a UFO? And there's a big, long silence. And then the pilot says, uh, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, uh, because they learned. Okay, so see, that's gone on. And then you just keep coming on up. One of my, again, I know in 1993, August, they sent up the Titan IV, okay, that was going to be a, 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 a put a, a satellite into orbit as a military-connected thing, and uh, it uh, blew up. <laughs> it blew up on August the 2nd. Uh, and interestingly enough, said the uh, Frank Sterling, the Titan IV program manager, says um, he was told that the Air Force video of the launch showed an unidentified object apparently striking the Titan at the altitude of about 110,000 feet shortly uh, uh, before the explosion. So see, this has happened before, okay? Now, we can move forward to, to other things, um, that uh, that we know about, for example, um, the Phobos two, which was uh, that was a Russian space probe that was sent to uh, to uh, put some equipment on the that small, weird, strange moon of Mars, Phobos. That's why it's called Phobos two. Got it. And, and as it got in line with Phobos, it, they lost all contact with it. Haven't several uh, craft sent to Mars disappeared without explanation? Okay, I'm going to give you the explanation, or at least one. 
uh, a few years later, I believe this was about 1995, we sent the Mars Observer up. And boy, I made a big deal out of it because it was going to go. They were going to try to land this thing on Mars. They were going to tool around, take really good pictures, close-up pictures of the surface of Mars. And we were going to learn a lot. Well, Mars Observer, as it was going into orbit around Mars, they lost, they lost that one, too. Now, I happen, at that time, I happened to be working with the military remote viewers. Do you know what remote viewing is? Oh, yes. I've had several oh, yes. okay. guests on the program talking about that, some that were involved with the Stargate program. There you go. Well, these were people with Stargate, Grill, Flame, Center Lane, whatever they called it at the moment. And uh, I called them up and said, hey, what happened to the Mars Observer? And they said the same thing that happened to the Phobos, too. And I said, well, what was that? They said, well, after the Phobos II was lost, they uh, they did some coordinated remote viewing to see uh, whether they could figure out what had happened. And they said in both instances, as these spacecraft became came into orbit around Mars, that a circular object rose off the surface of Mars, came out to meet them. Okay, one of them used the analogy of the tugboats coming out to meet the Queen Mary, mm-hmm. and then and they scanned these space probes. Okay, and then when they scanned them electromagnetically in some way, they realized that it was not theirs. That, that's not us. So they turned. So the object turned around and went back to the surface of Mars. Okay, but in scanning the spacecraft with uh, electromagnetic uh, scanning beams or whatever. Uh, it scrambled the onboard computer, and the Earth lost control. And both of them just crashed and burned going into the atmosphere of Mars. Now, uh, what's now? you know, that sounds like a great story, but is there any support for that story? And yes, there is, because uh, the remote viewers actually uh, drew a picture uh, and drew diagrams of what they had seen of this object approaching them, and it was kind of circular but in an odd shape, more like a teardrop, I guess. Mm. And uh, a few years later, uh, after the collapse of communism, uh, Russian cosmonauts came and visited the United States, and uh, Marina Popovich, who was a a former uh, Russian uh, astronaut, uh, in a news conference in San Francisco, held up what she said was one of the last photographs taken and then sent back to Earth by the Phobos II. And what does it show? This odd-shaped object approaching the craft. And amazingly enough, it looked very similar, if not identical, to what the remote viewers had drawn. So there's something out there. There's somebody out there. Now let me tell you about the buckyballs, because I thought about the buckyballs immediately when I saw the news about the the, uh, Falcon 9 explosion. Mm, Yes, do tell. Okay. The remote viewers who were all, of course, uh, officially, they were never tasked to go look at... uh, UFOs, because, you know, of course, officially, according to the government, they don't exist. So they were never told to go look for UFOs, but they were told to go and look in the upper atmosphere for high-flying, high-performance craft, you know, uh, obviously to try to see if there were if the Russians or the Chinese or somebody was testing some kind of new, uh, uh, new weaponry. 
And they said, uh, more than one of them said they went up and they saw what they call these buckyballs. They call them buckyballs because they are multi, they're not very big. They're about the size of a big softball or maybe a small basketball. Mm -hmm. And they're multifaceted. Okay, so they look kind of like a geodesic dome like Buckminster Fuller. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they called them buckyballs. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they said there's several of these in orbit, and they're just up there. They're just up there hanging around in orbit. But when a certain space launch uh, goes, you know, and uh, usually, apparently, it's if they're military or if they're classified or if there's something about them, because like I said, most of the time they launch and there's no problem. But if there's some question about uh, what this is putting into space, these buckyballs drop out of orbit at, at tremendous speed and then strike the the craft and it blows up, just like in the Titan Four, just like in the Falcon Nine. And so uh, what's all that about? Well, if you'll read my book, Alien Agenda, I think the idea, and it's not just my idea, a lot of the researchers uh, believe that uh, we're under quarantine. Uh, There's uh, folks out there that say, hey, keep all your hate and your violence to yourself. You know, and if you want to blow yourselves up, that's your problem. But when you start messing with atomic weapons, and let's face it, atomic weapons, uh, by definition, means that you're messing with the universe at the atomic level. You know, when an atomic bomb goes off, it uh, it has perturbations. It goes all through the universe, all through the dimensions, you know. And they said, we're not going to allow that. So they, uh, they've got us quarantined here until we can learn to get along. You know, uh, as I'm listening to you, what's coming to mind is uh, this video and a conversation that I had last night uh, after the program with my guest last night that, okay, so I've gotten my hands on this video uh, just tonight of a UFO captured on an infrared camera. And the pilots uh, were uh, police officers who got this video, and they said that this object could not be seen with the naked eye. So it makes me wonder... If uh, some of the explosion, some of the destruction of uh, Earth's equipment being, you know, attempted being sent into space or being sent to Mars, isn't uh, some of these craft are somehow not even visible to our eyes. They're visible on an infrared spectrum, but not right. always to us. So maybe it's just that we can't always see the craft. Uh, oh, well, I, th- I go a step further. I think they have masking. Uh, capability, some kind of technology that can either make them disappear or make them look like something that they're not, like a cloud or a blimp or, or whatever. In fact, I think uh, they may have been using that all through history. It's called cultural tracking, okay? Uh, that's why we have reports from the ancient Egyptians of, of uh, flying boats and from the ancient Chinese of flying dragons and from the Romans, flying shields and uh, from the uh, uh, French, uh, flying coins, you know, and and then, of course, we had the great airship mystery right here in the United States in 1896, 1897, and uh, then, of course, we move on to flying saucers, and then, oh, the Foo Fighters of World War II, the glowing balls, and I think think what they do is they, they can mask themselves to try to look like something that the Earth culture at the time 
you know, uh, recognizes, kind of recognizes as something at least they're familiar with, uh, you know, and it, it, and, and it doesn't traumatize everybody because they just say, well, I saw the shield flying through the air, you know. Um, and again, back to the fact that, they, you know, there again, we see that they've actually, the UFO thing didn't start with Roswell in 1947. It goes all the way back. You go back to the Bible and Ezekiel and the fiery wheel that picked him up, carried him to a city in the mountains, carried him all around. You know, you've got uh, the ancient Sumerians who talk about the uh, Anunnaki, which translates those who came from the heavens, landed on the earth. You've got uh, uh, stories from the Australian Aborigines and from the uh, the Dogon tribe in Africa about people who came from the stars and taught them how to do things. You know, it goes all the way back through history. We've never been alone. But uh, I think they keep their distance and they keep themselves masked because of, uh, for one of a better expression, I guess, uh, what in Star Trek they call it the prime directive. Okay? That's right, yes. Which is that these advanced races out in the universe have uh, not only are they advanced technology-wise so that they can travel around so they can come here, whether it be flying in some sort of uh, spaceship or whether it be coming through some sort of wormhole or uh, some kind of uh, energy field, uh, but they are also advanced socially, and they realize that, in, and I think there's just general agreement, that it is not right or proper to um, overtly interfere with the natural evolution of a species. And that's why I think that they have tried to drop us hints now and then, like Roswell and like other crashes, uh, like other sightings and stuff. They're trying to drop hints to us that we're not alone, we need to act, get our act together, you know, but they don't land on the White House lawn and say, here we are. You know, yada yada, because they don't want to cause uh, complete chaos with our political, socio, and and uh, religious systems. Mm, and our evolution, well, sure. And uh, yeah. besides that, the first thing we're going to ask about, if we even ask, we'll probably draw guns and then ask questions later. Well, that's but, the way it's always been, right? Uh, uh, one but of my, one of my favorite stories is uh, the. Uh, uh, the 1896, uh, 90, 1897, excuse me, crash in Aurora, Texas. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, when I went to the Dallas Morning News, which is still in publication, and got hold of their whole front page, uh, not only did they talk about the crash in Aurora, and uh, about third or fourth paragraph said the pilot was badly disfigured, but enough of his remains were recovered to show that he was not an inhabitant of this world. Oops. But what's really great, and, the, and what you what you just said, is is verified by the story from Granbury, Texas, all right, which is a little bit a little bit south Fort Worth, the roar is a little bit north of Fort Worth, and uh, in Granbury it said that uh, Newt Grissom last night while he was drilling the Riddle rifles, whatever that was, some kind of militia, I guess, uh, said he uh, saw this flying Jenny of which we've heard so much, and he said being a populist. He couldn't he couldn't stand the sight of the air machine, so he ordered the company to open fire, which they did, and soon the whole town was aroused. Okay, so <laughs> here we are. What is it, Joe Bob? Yeah. I don't know. Shoot at it. Uh-huh, right. <laughs> so they, yeah. Right. Oh, so the riddle rifles opened fire on it. So see, yeah, uh, up until very very recently, I think that would have been the 
the uh, modus operandi of uh, the U.S. military, and that goes back to the shoot-down orders. You know, once the military became absolutely and firmly knowledgeable that there was something flying around up there, and they not only didn't know who they were, but uh, but couldn't make them stop, um, I remember interviewing Colonel Corso, and uh I said, you know, in your whole book, you, you tend to you take the tone that uh, these folks are all hostile, that they're our enemies. And he said, that's right. And I said, well, why is that? Well, keep in mind, Colonel Corso was a World War II vet, gone through the Korean War. <laughs> you know, he was uh, an old Cold warrior. And he said, well, they would fly over our military installations. We'd order them to stop, and they wouldn't stop. Oh, so that's what makes them hostile because they wouldn't obey our orders. So anyway, it's all interesting. But the other thing, too, is is that do you realize it's been almost 50 years since we've been to the moon? Yeah, now, we've never been back. And we've never been back. Now think about 50 years. Think what telephones looked like 50 years ago. Think what cars looked like 50 years ago. In fact, I remember reading, and I think that's true, that on the Apollo moon landing, uh, all of the computer power that was used to coordinate the moon, Apollo 11 moon landing, uh, every little kid now holds in the palm of their hand even more computer power. That's how computers have advanced, okay? Uh, and in fact, Heather, did, did you ever watch the old Star Trek show when it was first on? Oh, yeah, I still do. I still do. Well, remember how cool we thought it was when they had those little flip phones, you know, and they'd flip it open and say, beam me up, Scotty. Yeah. And and, thought, oh, uh, man, I can't wait till I can get one of those. Well, hey, we had some of those, and now they're obsolete. Nobody wants a flip phone anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. People are going to look at you like, what tribe did you come from? Uh, <laughs> exactly. You got a flip phone? Yeah, we uh, the computers. Look how we've advanced. Look how we've advanced, and yet we've never gone back to the moon. Mm-hmm. Still hadn't landed on Mars. Something's going on. I think we're under quarantine. Well, um, you know, we've got, uh, thankfully, plenty of time tonight to talk about all that. I mean, if we didn't kill the extraterrestrials, which, I mean, the Battle of Los Angeles, that's another fine example of our stance on extraterrestrials. If we didn't kill them, then the next question is going to be, well, what kind of technology do you have? What kind of technology can you give us? And that would uh, absolutely corrupt our uh, natural evolution because yeah. uh, throwing yeah. advanced technology like that into the mix when we're not ready for it um, that and, would cause a lot of problems you may i think you hit on one one of the main two major reasons why they uh, is still all this secrecy around ufos because see uh, in the halls of uh, of Langley and in the halls of the Pentagon, these people look at, at that advanced technology as potential weaponry. They want to weaponize it, okay, so that we can go kick some other nations' butts around, okay? And so as advanced uh, weapons technology, well, we've got to keep that secret. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep it secret because we don't want our potential enemies to get it. We want it, Right. So that's a big reason for all the secrecy. Of course, the, the main reason for UFO secrecy is that because of the oligarchs, the globalists, as they call themselves, the 1%, as the Occupy movement called them, the New World Order, as George Herbert Walker Bush called it, these people who are trying to run the world, they owe their power to their monopolies 
over pharmaceuticals, energy, petroleum, uh, telecommunications, uh, health, healthcare, etc. And I don't think they really care if we know that there's aliens out there, but they definitely care uh, if we know there's aliens out there beyond any shadow of a doubt, then we also will know that there's alternative energy sources out there. Oh, there there you go. Yes. And that endangers their monopolies. Oh, you hit it, Jim. And you know what? Why should I expect anything less from Jim Mars? Of course he would hit on the point and that is that is an incredible point to think about over the break we gotta take a break right now look on midnightinthedesert.com right now you can go and click on jim mars's photograph and that will uh, take you to the video of the falcon 9 rocket explosion that we're talking about all night tonight with jim mars my guest and i'm heather wade we'll be right back i'd like to welcome jim mars back to the program uh, welcome back jim so you mentioned right before the break free energy as a, or an alternative energy because uh, an advanced civilization is most certainly going to have a grasp on uh, on energy different kind of propulsion than we have right. uh, as a possibility of, of why the secrecy uh, but I I, I want to run this one by you this is something that just sort of crossed my mind you of course have done more research on this than I have but I, I wondered if since this is something, that, uh, that our military has no control over. Uh, I've wondered if it isn't kept a secret because this is a threat to national security that they do not know how to respond to. Well, it actually goes deeper than that. Uh, you know, uh, if you go back and really study, you'll find that uh, national defense, okay, is pretty much the prime social organizing force. Okay. Um, in fact, you can just go back and read the Constitution of the United States, and it only gives the federal government two powers. Okay, the power to coin and regulate money, which they gave away in 1913 to the private banking concern known as the Federal Reserve System, which is neither federal nor do they have any reserves, and then to provide for the common defense. Okay, mm-hmm. so if they admit that these things can fly over our military installations, over our cities, and they not only don't know who they are, but they can't stop them, then why are we paying all these taxes? <laughs> well, of course, to fight against other countries. Uh, well, yeah, like Afghanistan. Let me think. Boy, a bunch of raggedy mountains, uh, you know, with uh, that nobody's been able to conquer. Uh, the Mongols couldn't conquer them, and the uh, British couldn't conquer them, and the Russians couldn't conquer them. And so, oh, I guess it's our turn. I, surely good old America. I mean, you know, God's on our side, so I'm sure we can conquer them. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Rise up. Smell the car. Come on, we, we nobody died and left us policemen of the world. Well, that much is true. Absolutely. I, it really um, is beyond me why we have to but, but declare ourselves our the military, bosses. It keeps the military budget up, right? Right. You beat me to it. That's right. <laughs> is that where you're going? That's right. Yeah, it's where I was headed with that. It does, yeah. uh, because we have to have an a- active and heavily funded military. Right. And you know why? Because according to the report back in 1962 that Henry Kissinger participated in, and it was done because they were so afraid Kennedy was going to cause peace to break out, 
they did a report on the desirability and uh, necessity of peace. What are we going to do if peace breaks out? And one of the things they mentioned was, well, that would be bad because right now we can take the young rebellious men and we can put them in the armed forces and keep control over them. So, you know, if we didn't have the armed forces, what's going to happen to all these young men and women who, uh, you know, they're going to be out on the street causing trouble? Mm, Right. Well, I think the plan is backfiring on them because we've got plenty of young people out in the streets right now causing all kinds of trouble. (laughs) That's true. Well, that's because uh, they keep... uh, tightening and tightening and raising the standards. I, I I learned that during the Vietnam War. There was a particular year there uh, where I, after I'd graduated from college and before I entered graduate school, that I just was kind of hanging around, had a job selling clothing, and uh, uh, that was an experience. And because I thought, well, they're just going to draft me because I got to go fight the communists in Southeast Asia, you know. Mm-hmm. And but as a result, uh, for, during that year, I, I had to go over to Dallas, I think, three, maybe four times to take a draft physical. Okay, and it dawned on me about the fourth time over there that you know, if you were physically or mentally uh, unfit. You got to stay home and procreate. <laughs> but if you met their high standard of mental and physical, uh, you know, usefulness, then they send you over to be cannon fodder. Uh, I realize there's something wrong about that system. You know, we're we're uh, we're muddy in the gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! You're right. Uh, well, that is a scary, know, scary say, thought. I, I, I make light of all this stuff, but it's true. It's all true. Wow. Well, we, just have, we don't. We just have no clue as to what's really going on, and you know why? Because we're living in the matrix. Now, unlike the movie, we're not physically hooked to computers. But anybody that sits and spends more than thirty minutes a day watching television is hooked into an electronic, electromagnetic matrix that is woven about them by the major corporate television and radio, okay, and you're made to see the world as it really is not in, and it is not is. You're made to see the matrix, you know, you're not living in the real world. Oh, no, and they're telling you what to think, what to believe, what to be concerned about, what not to care about, uh, and they're giving you uh, your entire mental narrative. (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly it, and, and and I'll tell you something. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not laughing at people falling into that. It's very easy to fall into that, and and it's not real easy to get out of it. You're fortunate in that you have this talk show. As a result, you get a variety of people on here talking about a variety of subjects, and so you're getting some pretty a uh, pretty uh, wide uh, spread uh, you know input of information. So that gives you a little bit of leg up. But just think all the people that go to some humdrum job and then they come home sit in front of the tv and then they fall asleep and then they get up and do it all again you know You're right yeah well fortunately more and more those people are checking out the program and other independent media programs like this uh, but i specifically go after those things that are not 
in the mainstream news, uh, even when it comes to uh, anything in regard to the paranormal. I'm looking for things that other people just aren't talking about. And exactly, you know, here we are with this explosion, and and I found it interesting uh, that a few people did bring it up to me. Hey, did you look real close at that video? Because there's something strange on that video. And then a couple of people said, well, it could be a bird, it could be a bug on the lens. And right. then I saw that it was discovered that the object in the video was clocked at over a thousand miles an hour. And okay. this, pretty fast. this is uh, I don't, I don't not know being any, talked about. I don't know of any birds that can go that fast. <laughs> uh, no, and I don't know about any bug that can go that fast either. Uh, but this is something you won't see on the mainstream media. You won't hear about them talking about it, it to them. Well, okay, tragic explosion. We don't know what happened. Uh, you get into some alternative media. Well, we're going to figure out and probably talk about some things well, that the mainstream you, media would never touch. You don't get anything on the mainstream media except what they want you to see. You know, we get a black man killed in Ferguson, and we get riots, and that's covered for weeks on end. You get a white rancher, churchgoer, family man with a large family who's simply trying to stand up for his constitutional rights, Lavoy Finnegan, and they murder him in cold blood, in broad daylight, and that gets passed real quick. We don't hear anything much more about Lavoy. You're right. Uh, and there was, uh, in the middle of, uh, gosh, I don't remember now, there's been too many shootings. That's uh, right. But there was... <laughs> of, maybe we need to start numbering <laughs> Number four. You're right. Yeah, maybe we could keep track. But in, in the middle of all that, there was actually, um, uh, gosh, I mean, we're talking about, see, here I go, right back into the hot water. Thanks a lot, Jim. But there was <laughs> a, a white boy... Oh, gosh, I think he was, I don't know, 17 or 19. It was He was a young man. He might have even been in his 20s. Uh, but yeah. he was unarmed. This was in California, Fresno, California, I believe. He was at a gas station. He was unarmed. He was shot and killed by the police there. And maybe a couple of local articles about that. Uh, yeah, not yeah. See, much. That's the kind of thing. That shows that there is a predisposition and an agenda that the major media has. You know, uh, and the thing that really bothers me now is, uh, and of course, keep in mind, as a journalist, trained journalist, I understand about news. News, by definition, is something out of the ordinary. Uh, the day that uh, you read that uh, today uh, 5,000 L.A. policemen did a good job, if that's the headline, that's when you better get worried, because that means that's out of the ordinary. <laughs> so, so, of course... Anything bad happens that's out of the ordinary, and that's going to make news. But they have uh, completely shifted the news. Uh, they, they, it, it's really incredible, and we, we really shouldn't have to put up with that. But, uh, you know, we do. Mm. Well, fortunately, a lot of people out there are starting to open their eyes. And uh, oftentimes, I can't tell you how many emails I get where people say, uh, well, you know, mainstream media said this. I'm not buying it. You know, so people no. people are smarter they, they, than. That's right. They're yeah. not buying it like they used to. That's for sure. Mm, that's right. Uh, yeah. If, uh, another another uh, good example, by the way, is, uh, you know, when uh, uh Mike Brown 
and Ferguson is killed, and all we see on the media are pictures of him when he was 12 years old, and he looks like a nice, chubby, you know, nice little round-faced black kid. We don't see him when he was 18 and weighed over 200 pounds and was already had a criminal record and had just strong-armed a store uh, proprietor before having the encounter with the policeman, uh, in which uh, the uh, jury finally examined it, took cold calculated look at it, and realized that he attacked the policeman. Now, we heard about Michael Brown for weeks on end. Nobody ever heard about Dylan Taylor, okay? That was in Salt Lake City. He and his friends went to a 7-Eleven. There'd been some problem there, and they'd called the cops. The cops showed up. Dylan and his two friends uh, were walking off, and the cops ordered them to stop. Dylan had earphones on and was listening to some music or something. He didn't stop, so they just shot him and killed him. Jeez. Okay. Now, wait a minute. That was a much more egregious. And by the way, he was shot by a black cop. Okay. So, and of course, most people never even heard that story. It didn't much get get out of Salt Lake City. But I might mention that again because this is what's really interesting. Uh, in Salt Lake City, they also demonstrated about that because that did hit the local news, and people were very incorrectly upset. Right. So they there was a demonstration outside of City Hall. And the police chief came out, and there were no no guys in helmets and, and shields and throwing tear gas. No. The police chief went out along with some other cops. They had a dialogue with these people. They said, yes, I think there was. we're looking into this. We're going to make sure that uh, the proper procedures were followed, and if not, we'll take the appropriate action. So there was a demonstration, peaceful, and people got their say-so. And uh, there was no rioting, no windows broken, nobody hurt, no car. Burned. I mean, come on, you know. Oh well, then I guess we don't get to hear about that stuff. See, right? Well, right. I mean, it's obvious that uh, the narrative we're sold through the mainstream media is is cherry picked in order to support the narrative that we're pushing on us, and it's just it's outrageous. Well, you have to understand, there's a purpose behind this narrative. Okay, George Soros is the one who's funding all of this Black Lives Matters thing. Uh, They're in Charlotte, where they just had all the rioting. Uh, the information came out that most of those arrested uh, were carrying out-of-state licenses, okay? They, were they being, weren't even the local folks. They were coming these, in, These yeah. are events that are being contrived to do an agenda, and the agenda is to demonize the police to create more of these incidences so they can, they're pushing it to the point to where there'll be almost civil war or civil unrest, and then that, that'll give them an excuse to load more military equipment to the police forces, make their trigger fingers even more itchy, and basically rip apart the cohesive fabric of this country, which is what some people are trying to do so that they can achieve their new world order. God, I mean, it, it, there's not really a word I can think of right now uh, that can... I can. That can. It's called treason. Well, yes, but I mean, <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, just my internal reaction to it. Uh, rage, sadness, yes. disappointment, all that doesn't even come close to how that makes me feel. Uh, because, yeah. look, I love my country. I don't want to see people fighting. The one thing, Jim, I've been talking about through all of these shootings is, you know what, I don't want to see anybody getting killed. I don't want to see the cops get killed. 
killed. I don't want to see civilians getting killed. I would really like to see us not trying to kill each other or at least arguing with each other the way we are. We are so divided. And I hate seeing that. I really and do. I'm with you, and I'm with you. I'm exactly with you. I mean, here's the thing. You and I are both educated, thoughtful people. We care. We con- we're concerned. And we can get on, even even here on the radio, and we can have a lively discussion. We can even uh, be, uh, you know, on opposite sides of issues. But we don't have to resort to name-calling or violence. I mean, you know, why why can't we all just agree to disagree and not do it disagreeably? <laughs> There you go. That's a good. I was actually talking a little bit about that uh, before. The, uh, well, at the beginning of the program, you know, look, adults disagree sometimes. That's okay. It's yeah. all right. Well, let's discuss it. Let's have a discussion about it. Uh, but don't end relationships over these things because then I think that's playing into the hand of that narrative that we're being sold. They want us at each other's throats. Exactly. Because a fearful nation is a nation of people who can be controlled. They can pass more laws. You know, see, every time there's a shooting, here they come again trying to pass more anti-gun laws. We already got got anti-gun laws on the books, okay? And as I mentioned earlier, the places with the harshest gun laws have the highest murder rates. Duh! That's clear. Doesn't that make people wake up and realize that, you know, there's right ways of doing things and there's wrong ways of doing it, and there's counterproductive ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Uh, You you know, when I was a kid, I was a wild little kid. I did all kinds of wild things. Uh, I made Do you know what a zip gun is? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, good for you. You must be about my age then, because most people don't even know what a zip gun is anymore. And for those who don't, a zip gun is just a little metal pipe that you get, and you can somehow strap a, a handle to it or, or a, you know, like a grip. Uh, you can do that with tape. You can do it with uh, uh, wire, whatever. And then you get a rubber band or some rubber, and you put on the end of it, and then you put a thumbtack in there or whatever. And then then you can put a bullet. Now, if it's a small pipe, it'd be 22. If it's a bigger pipe, you put a 45. But if you get a bullet, you put a bullet in that pipe, and then you pull the rubber band back, and you go bang, and it pops the cap, and the gun goes off, and it shoots. You made a gun. That's called a zip gun. Now, wait a minute, folks. <laughs> if a junior high kid can make a zip gun, anybody can make a zip gun. So the idea that we're going to take guns away and nobody have a gun is just insane because as long as there's humans around, somebody can make a gun, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of other weapons, you know, it doesn't have to be a gun. It could be a knife. But, well, there's something uh, that uh, criminals... Like the guy that stabbed all those people, yeah. Yeah, right. That's going to cause... If, if you're a crazy, you're a crazy. And here's, here's the clincher, and I know you'll agree with me on this, Heather. They keep, and during the bait, it's like, well, 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 what can we do about this violence, you know? And all they want to do is more police and take away guns, none of which is going to stop it. What will stop it is to make for a fairer, more equitable society. We've got to make sure that people have opportunities for jobs, they have opportunity for education, and what we do is the, the crime starts when, when with the desperately poor, uh, you know, and, and, and 
except for 2% that may be twisted, but for the most part, uh, people are committing crimes. They're doing it because uh, they don't have any hope. They don't have any education. They don't have any money. So we've got to start seeing that, uh, that, that, that this is taken care of, and it can be, but it's got to be done at the local level. Some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. is not going to be able to take care of your local problems. They never have, and they never will be. And this idea about, well, we just need to elect somebody who's going to give stuff to everybody, and, you know, it, it just isn't going to work. No, you obviously, you've been listening to the show or something. That's what I, yes, that's what I've been saying, uh, that because desperate people are going to take desperate action to change their situation, if people had opportunity, that would give right. them hope, and hope changes everything. How about this? How about we restart, restart the WPA, the Works Project Administration, which they uh, created during the 1930s when everybody's out of work, and they and it was the government program, and they put everybody to work. Okay, so today we reinstitute something like the WPA, and what we do is all these people who are now receiving unemployment checks, free checks, free money from the government for doing nothing. Okay, they have to register with the WPA. Okay, and they have to then show up every Monday through Friday uh, for work, and they're given a shovel, okay? Now, you know, a lot of them for a week or two will just lean on that shovel uh, and then come back to collect their paycheck, uh, And uh, but at the end of a few weeks, they're going to get bored and they're going to start using that shovel. And first thing you know, we could dig a canal from the Mississippi River to West Texas, you know, bring water to the area <laughs> and aerate it and, and make crops grow and have a nice canal for transportation. And, and uh, we wouldn't have paid any more money than we're paying right now in unemployment, but we'd have something to show for it. You're right. Yes. And people would have some kind of program, something to look to, uh, to open a door in their life where they don't didn't have right. one before. I right. think that and, is the and, core of the problem. And, and what would happen also is that the smarter ones, after after a month or two of just drawing that minimal paycheck for uh, for government work, they go, well, now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sitting here shoveling all day, and I'm only making this government work. I could go over and do the same work for this construction company over here and make twice as much money. And next thing you know, they'd all be in the workforce. Right. And I, I think that is the root of uh, most of the problems that we see as we look around today is uh, so many people out of the out of the workforce. I mean, what is it, a third of the country right now? Yeah, maybe even more than that, because, you know, once you uh, uh, after a certain amount of time, if you're out of work, then they cut you off of the program. And once you're cut off the program, then you're no longer a statistic. <laughs> so there's people who have, ne- have either ne- never applied for the program or who are already out of the program and they don't count. And so, yeah, I think there's a huge amount of people out of work today. And the worst thing is, is that the middle class is being squeezed because uh, there are people who have, uh, I know the, uh, the, when I was a young guy, the whole idea was you go to work for a company and you put in time and you're loyal to them and you put in a hard day's work for them. And when you get retirement age, they give you a watch and they give you a pension and then you're set for life. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Doesn't work that way anymore. No, uh, no, 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 no. no. You're, the corporations all bought up the other corporations and they brought in the efficiency experts and they say, well, Heather has done a great job for us. 
but she's approaching uh, 60 years old. It's time to cut her loose so we don't have to pay her any pension. And mm-hmm. they do this continually. Mm-hmm. Well, and people are, uh, when it comes to employment, uh, people are kind of, you know, dispensable. They can get somebody else. You, That's uh, right. You know. Why, why pay a 50-year-old who has 30 years of experience, you know, what they would demand as a reasonable salary when you can hire some kid right out of college? Yeah, right. Uh, at half, you can, at half, the, half the cost. Half the pay. That's right. See, it, yeah. it's, it's gotten to be all about the money, and that's not what it really should have been. All throughout history, the people who made furniture, the people who made music, they didn't do it for the money. They did it for the uh, uh, enjoyment and the creativity of uh, producing something of quality. I, I have an old 1936 car. It's a Mercedes. <laughs> and... Uh, that thing's so simple, I can work on it. And it's still running. <laughs> I, I just hope I'm as, uh, in as good a shape as it is when I'm that age. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. is it was, Things used to be made to last, and we don't see that now. And it, it, Well, I think what we're dancing around is the human factor. The human factor has been taken out of just about every equation in our culture, our society, from top to bottom. We just that's ignore right. that now, and that is uh, not doing us any favors. It's just not... Well, now that's, you know, that's kind of a spooky thought, because uh, I think you're absolutely correct. And does that mean maybe that uh, who's ever at the top uh, running the uh, program, pushing the agenda, Maybe they're not even us. Oh, what? Wow, that is uh, really good. I'm glad there's a break right now so I can think about that over the break. <laughs> I mean, the one and only Jim Mars, everybody. Um, think about that. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Jim if he's got any inside info into SpaceX. All right, I'm Heather Wade, and we'll be right back. Yes, but when the man comes around. I think we got to do some tests to figure out if he's human first. <laughs> All right, Jim, welcome back to the show. Boy, you're really good at throwing those curveballs. I love it, because uh, that certainly was one. My God. All right, so what's the dirt on SpaceX? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Look, all you got to do is stop thinking about this. Number one, is there any doubt in your mind that there's not a small clique of individuals who are at least trying, probably economically, to run the world? Well, yes. I, I don't. Okay, I yes. think okay, this yes. is now. Now, do they make decisions that are always in the best interest of the people? No. No. Now, wait a minute. Now, why is that? Okay, <laughs> could it be that they're not us? Well, that would make the most sense because here's the problem that I have with this whole globalist New World Order business is because I'm thinking, how can people do that to people? How how is that possible? But if you consider that uh, whoever it is way up on top of the pyramid is not human, then it makes a little more sense, right? That's right. That's right. Mm. And uh, perhaps whatever's going on with climate change uh, could be laid at their feet. Maybe it is they want the world a little bit warmer, uh, a little bit less uh, habitable for humans, you know, just just theorizing, just thinking. And that leads, of course, to the question of, Alien invasion. Right. Yes. Well, absolutely. Because, look, reptilians, we all know, they like the summer heat, right? Of course. (laughs) So who knows? 
But now, first off, I don't think we really have to worry about a uh, an immediate armed invasion of Earth, like in the movie Independence Day, okay? All right. And, and the reason that I don't think we have to worry about that is because, again, if you'll go back and study your history closely, you'll find that there's been non-human visitation and uh, uh, interaction with the Earth as far back as, as the recorded history, okay? So if they were going to blow up our cities and eat us or enslave the whole race or whatever, they certainly would have done it back when all we could have opposed them with was swords or spears. You know, why wait until today to come and attack us when we have space platforms and, and laser weaponry and all kinds of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm, right. But, so, but, but... Consider this, Heather. What if you're an astronaut and you go to another planet? And you're and you're Charlton Heston, okay? And you're on the planet of the apes, mm-hmm. okay? And you're let's say maybe you're even stranded there. Maybe you can't get off. Well, you don't want to be just another ape. You want to run the, the planet of the apes, right? Well, of but, course you do. But how are you going to physically control seven and a half billion apes? You can't do it. You can only do it through secrecy and deceit and divide and conquer. You get them fighting with each other, and then they not only are not fighting you, they, they, they are so intense on their personal feuds and fights that they don't realize that you're there manipulating everything. Pulling the strings. Pulling the strings. Okay, yeah, so uh, I think we have to consider that possibility. Um, In fact, uh, you know, this is, I'm not the only one who has thought in these terms. Um, I remember back in the early 80s reading uh, L. Ron Hubbard's classic science fiction book, uh, Battlefield Earth, Mm -hmm. okay? And uh, I tell you what, of course, he had, in in addition to founding Scientology, which uh, uh, we won't even go there, that's that was uh, he also was considered quite a one of the great science fiction writers uh, back in the 30s, 40s, and particularly the 50s and 60s, uh, and later and 70s. Uh, he was considered right up there with Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, Ray Bradbury, and uh, these other greats of science fiction. And in Battlefield Earth, here's what's interesting. They don't just come here to invade and and blow up the world. (laughs) It's the intergalactic mining corporation that borrows money from the intergalactic bankers uh, (laughs) to bankroll uh, their uh, efforts on Earth to come to the Earth and strip mine it of all its resources, you know, but uh, they're getting in trouble because they're not mining as much stuff as they need to. So, and besides that, they have to they have to worry about this these pesky humans that are here, you know. So, it, it takes place in the year three thousand, and it takes place uh, uh, after a thousand years of occupation by the cyclos. That's what they call the aliens, and they're big, huge, hairy guys, and they wear masks because they can't breathe the uh, oxygenated uh, air of the earth. And uh, they are trying to figure out how to get the humans off their back and how to get them to work for them. And the humans are all now just in little scattered tribes, and they have even forgotten that they are occupied. 
they only have superstitions and rumors about monsters that are in certain areas, but particularly the old ruined cities. Okay, and so the whole thing is about uh, the protagonist uh, uh, Johnny Goodboy Tyler and his uh, paramour Chrissy, and how that they round up other humans and begin to fight back and begin to try to work to retake our world. So it actually kind of gives us a template on what to do, uh, how to uh, regain control over our own planet. And maybe we need to start thinking in those terms today because there are people who uh, own and control the major corporations who are trying to uh, control the human race. This is why they're putting up all the surveillance cameras everywhere. Down on them if they're causing any kind of uh, trouble. Uh, they also will become more and more dependent on the government to provide food, clothing, shelter. Already, people in the city have no idea how to get water except out of the faucet. And the faucet comes from the municipal waterworks. And, you know, what if the government shuts off the water, you know? You're just out of luck. Well, even and that's a commodity with a price on it. Exactly. In fact, people don't realize this because they're buying these little bottles of water and they come in great big plastic uh, containers, you know, and they're paying, you know, uh, I forget how, I don't even really know because I don't buy that stuff. But what does a big container of bottled water cost? Oh, it's outrageous. Bucks? I mean, it costs just as much as any kind of soda that you want to get. I mean, if it's well, any I, less, it's not by much. Not by much. In fact, if you break it down, because everybody gets the little 8 or 12-ounce bottles, but if you pour all that into a gallon, uh, at a gallon, at the uh, level of a gallon, believe it or not, you're paying more money for gasoline today than you are for a gallon of water. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. Uh, I mean, I think I got that. You back. got it backwards there. Yeah, you're, paying you're paying more more for a gallon of water than you are for a gallon of gasoline. That's right. Yeah, and that water that comes in those bottles, I mean, it might be okay distilled or whatever, but it's not that special. I mean, I get a hairy eyeball uh, oftentimes because I'll just drink out of the tap. I don't mind. It's not going to kill me. It hasn't killed me yet. Well, well you might as well. Uh, what did I just read today? Let me see here. Uh I mean, maybe to have One that around for an ones. emergency or something like that, but I wouldn't uh, waste any oh, money on that. Oh, here we go. That. Okay. Dasani? Dasani water? Yeah. Okay. Coca-Cola has now admitted that Dasani is uh, just tap water. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm shocked. So, so all you people have been paying all that money to get that Dasani water, you know, just, hey, just go to the faucet. Yeah, right. Just fill the bottle up yourself. Put it in the fridge. Uh, and look how that's changed. Look how that's changed. When I was, uh, I went to work, I, I've been working since I was 13, and uh, I worked in a grocery store. And if you'd come in the grocery store back there in the 50s when I was working as a, a stock boy and a and a, a package boy, and said, where's the water? I would have said, <laughs> the drinking fountain's over there. You're right. You know? yeah. or, better, or better yet, go outside and turn on the hose. You know, remember drinking out of the hose? We used to drink out of the hose all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that was just fine. I mean, that was I the know, go-to. Surprisingly, we're still here. Yeah, well, because, Jim, when, uh, I guess, God, I feel old now, but when we were kids, there was one game. It was called Outside, and if you wanted something to drink, uh, you got it out of the hose. You get just a, a yeah. sip of water out of the hose, and and you spray yeah. your friend down, you know. 
exactly. <laughs> That's where the water was. And now, you know, I watched it all happen. You know, first there was just a few, a few bottles of bottled water in the grocery store, and then before long there were whole shelves, and, and now there's whole aisles of nothing but bottled water. And what really, really blows me away is a lot of people went to bottled water so they could get away from fluoride, sodium fluoride, you know, which was sold in the 20s as a rat poison, okay? And then they're putting it in our water. What? And so I was in a grocery store not long back looking at the whole long aisle of bottled water, and then I see something with a beautiful little... Uh, picture of a little cute little baby on it, you know, in a little blue packaging that said baby water. And I thought, oh, all right, that's cool. I went over there and looked at it, baby water for your baby with fluoride. Oh. Holy cow, what's wrong with people? <laughs> well, and then the <laughs> argument that that's good for your teeth kind of disappears there because they don't have teeth yet <laughs> they don't even have teeth in fact hey the infants they tell you don't give don't give babies uh fluoridated toothpaste they swallow it and in fact if you look on a tube of toothpaste if it says with fluoride look on the fine print the fine print said if you swallow this call the cdc centers for disease control and they're their poison center yeah because you'll poison yourself and this whole thing about uh well you need to read my book population control how corporate owners are killing us and you'll read how we got fluoride okay mm-hmm. at the end of world war Two, they had a huge problem because the aluminum industry uh in the manufacturing process of aluminum uh as kind of as a waste product or a byproduct produced a lot of aluminum uh, i mean a lot of sodium fluoride okay and at the same time we were making atomic bombs which a waste product is sodium fluoride and so all of a sudden the government and the corporations found themselves with this whole pile of sodium fluoride and they didn't know what to do with it because by international convention you weren't allowed to dump it in the rivers because the rivers flow into the seas and they and internationally everybody knew sodium fluoride was a poison Okay, so by law, you couldn't dump it in the rivers or whatever. So some guys hired by Reynolds Aluminum uh, did a few experiments and decided that with just a little bit of sodium fluoride in, in, the, in the water would might prevent more cavities in mostly boys between the age of 6 and 12, <laughs> okay? So because a few boys between 6 and 12 might get a few year cavities, and that wasn't even nailed down, they, they are now arguing with those studies, you know, then all of a sudden they're going to fluoridate everyone, and now our 70% of the water supplies in this country now have sodium fluoride in it. Uh, the Nazis figured out that if you put a little sodium fluoride in the water, it, 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 number one, it's cumulative. It'll build up in your system. Number two, it'll affect your brain. And number three, you'll, you'll start uh, being uh, slowed down. You'll be more lethargic. You'll be uh, passive, non-resistant. And they said, hey, this is good. So they put it in the water of the concentration camps. Okay? And that's why the, the concentration camps never uh, 
revolted, you know. Everybody was drugged out on sodium fluoride. And I'm wondering if that's not what they're doing to the population of the United States right now. Well, again, it brings me right back to what we were talking about before uh, that, you know, maybe uh, because as hard a time as I have with a lot of these uh, theories, a lot of these ideas going around, it's because I think how can people do this to other people so then it brings us right back to is there some sort of extraterrestrial influence going (laughs) on here because no human would do that to fellow humans i don't care how much money there is to be made you know when you're talking about influencing the health of millions and millions and millions of people i don't care who you are you're gonna have a little bit of misgiving about that i mean we're all human uh come on well yeah some of us are but hey uh go check out the Gardasil scandal, okay? This was a a drug that they made for young girls, and it uh, harmed thousands before they finally took it off the market. But then, even after it was banned in the United States, they continued to sell it in Africa, South America, other places where they hadn't wised up as to the dangers of Gardasil. And then there's other uh, Vox, okay? They kill 60,000 people with that drug before they finally figured out it was causing a problem. Except the problem is, I'm not even sure it takes them that long to realize they made a mistake. Uh, If you go back to the uh, Think about the Ford Pinto, you know. When oh, my God, my mom behind, had one of those. The plane, right? <laughs> my mom had one of those. Uh, we spent uh, more than a couple nights broke down on the side of the road in the middle of the night because of that stupid thing. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the worst problem was if it got rear-ended, it was just as not likely to burst into flame. And, I mean, it killed people, okay? And they finally, uh, when it all finally came public, uh, it was finally admitted through through, uh, you know, by internal memorandum, that Ford Motor Company decided that it was uh, less costly to go ahead and pay, uh, you know, reparations to people who lost loved ones in a Pinto fire than it was to retool the assembly line. Mm, And that's not the only instance. I could give you other instances. During Vietnam, uh, we had an inordinate number of Huey helicopters crashing, you know, that were made by Bell Helicopter right here in Texas. And uh, at first, they kept blaming it on the enemy action, you know. And then when it finally, there were so many of them, they couldn't blame it on the enemy action, so they blamed it on pilot error, you know. And then long after the Vietnam War had ended, it finally came out that it was a design flaw that created something called mast bumping, which means the blades would hit the mast and the blades would fall off. And at that point, the helicopter becomes a rock and it just falls to the ground, okay? And Bell executives knew about this, but again, it was... uh, more cost-effective to cover it up and to pay, uh, you know, uh, reparation to families than it was to retool and make a safe helicopter. Jeez. Well, I mean, it, there was that gas leak in Southern California uh, that, well, somebody just dropped the ball and didn't have the right valve or some such a piece of equipment that was very inexpensive. And, well, we'll just let the gas leak. And it wasn't until, you know, thousands of people started to 
get sick. Uh, thousands of people started to complain about it. Look, I can't right. even live in my house right now. You're going to have to do something about this. And even then, not much was done. Uh, they tried to put a stop to the leak, but there's still a lot of people that, that can't I, even I live in that, that. area. Is, they, I th- is it still leaking? I think it's still leaking. I, I think they were able to stop it. I think they were working on uh, getting it stopped. Okay, so the last I heard, last I covered this, uh, they were... They said that they had stopped the leak, and so they families okay. started moving back to the area, and then they they were there for two, three days maybe, and they, they started making reports. Look, we can't live here. People are getting migraines, nosebleeds, rashes, Uh-oh. all kinds Something's of stuff. still happening, yeah. So they thought they had it fixed, but yeah. didn't. So oh, well, you know what the heck they uh, uh, the uh, uh, event horizon there in the Gulf it's still leaking and they're still pouring Corexit down there on the water to keep it all down under the water so nobody sees it much but it's killing the wildlife. I will not. Everybody I know we will not eat anything out of the Gulf. Okay, and now unfortunately. The Pacific Ocean's becoming the same way thanks to Fukushima. You don't hear much about that in the news anymore either, but it's still spewing radiation. Uh, yes, into the ocean. And in yes. fact, the big argument about that, boy, I know we have uh, strayed so far off the topic. but uh, oh, we're going everywhere. Th- yeah. Um, I had I had a lady on the program, Libby Halevi. She, she talks about the nuclear uh, danger that we have all around the world. And I asked her, I said, well, there are telling us that uh, the radioactive water from Fukushima that's going into Pacific Ocean, well, don't worry about it. The Pacific is really big, and it's going to dilute it. What do you say about that? And she said, oh, no, a nucle- uh, radioactive particle is a radioactive particle. There's no diluting this. That's right. It's- that's right. That's the, that's the biggest load of you-know-what that I've ever heard. If something's radioactive, it's radioactive. It doesn't get diluted. You're right. And so that's our Pacific Ocean and, and in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, that's the lifeline for how many people? Uh, the, you almost can't even count how many people rely on those two large bodies of water for their livelihood. That's and not true. only that, what about the Gulf Stream? Uh, that's going to affect the weather. Uh, and if, you know, that's still leaking, Deepwater Horizon drill hole still yeah. leaking, what's that going uh, to do uh, to the jet stream? Isn't that what well, it's called? Yeah. And the thing that bothers me the worst about all that is is that, except for the initial reporting, you don't hear about any of this anymore. No. It's like, oh, well, I'm sure they got it taken care of somewhere, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Let's, you know uh, let's, let's go have it done the dance. Let's talk about the something Donald Trump said wrong today. Let's let's talk about that. Let's not talk about how just about every system on this planet is in a state of decline. That's true. And what's going to happen to us? Go ahead and argue about the, the presidential race. But what about the planet, everybody? Uh, we need to live here. We, do, the, we I don't see another Earth just lying around in the backyard. <laughs> That's true. And and obviously, we're not having much luck trying to spread out and go to other worlds because uh, the government, in the form of NASA, gave up on space flight back after the sixth moon landing, you know, and quit right there. And now the private people are having problems because uh, SpaceX blew up, you know. So uh, right. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's why I think it's time that we quit, quit worrying about uh, aliens coming in and taking over or us flying to other worlds and start thinking about how we're going to clean up our own backyard.
Mm, well, yes. Uh, I mean, we, we've got to figure out how we can make Earth habitable uh, or yes. continue for Earth to be habitable. But, you know, you've planted this seed now in my mind, uh, and, and that's not going to be hard to let go of because, um, w- well, who would have an interest in making Earth inhabitable for humans? Another race? <laughs> Non-humans. <laughs> you know, another race? Obviously, uh, Makes a person really wonder about that agenda, and who would want to prevent humans from getting any further out into space? Another right. race, an extraterrestrial race, maybe. I mean, you can't rule these things out. You got to cons- at least consider the uh, the possibility. Right, right. You should. You could. We must. Actually, we need to start taking care of stuff. And the other thing, thing is, let me give you an example of how it can be done. Okay, this is the way to do it. When I was a young man driving around in Texas, uh, when you finished your coke or your beer, uh, you just threw it out the window. Okay, uh, we didn't think we were litter bugs. Nobody told us about that. Nobody said anything about it. It's just this the way you did things. You know, gee, I'm empty. This I'll throw it out. And sometimes you tried to hit the road sign. You know. And the highways were littered, and they looked trashy, and they were terrible. Now, what happened in Texas is they came along, and they started this whole campaign about don't mess with Texas, okay? And, of course, yes, they passed the law and said, okay, $200 fine, $2,000 fine, whatever it was, for littering. But i got to tell you, Heather, I don't know one person who's ever had to pay a littering fine, okay? <laughs> so those laws, yeah, they're, they're great, but they didn't really do it. What did the trick was elevating the public consciousness. They kept putting up signs, don't mess with Texas. They come on the TV and the radio, and they're going, okay, look, we've got to clean up the highways. And we, you know, don't do that. And people of good conscience, which is most people, and my family, too, we got to carrying a garbage bag, you know, of sack in the car. And we'd put all our trash in the sack. And then when we get to the proper receptacle, we'd put it in the trash can. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And the highways in Texas cleared up. Okay? There's still some, you still see a few things. But, and, and another thing I notice is down here is that they take a stretch of highway and then they go to a local church or a local uh, Lions Club or some organization, and they agree to be responsible for that stretch of highway. And every once in a while, their members will go up, and they'll pick up stuff along the highway. And the highways in Texas now are pretty nice. Yeah, right. Well, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. Look, we got to take a break right now. i got a few more questions for Jim when we come back, and we will open up the phone lines back in a moment. A night with Jim Mars is never a dull moment. That you can take to the bank. I'd like to welcome Jim back to the show. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, so, okay, this could be an invasion, but is it more like we're talking about an occupation of Earth by some other kind of uh, humanoid? Well, again, uh, you know, we don't know. We just know that they've been here a long time, and uh, we really don't know who's at the top of the pyramid. Uh, you can follow the money, 
and it flows upwards into the hands of just a few individuals. But then uh, the question becomes, uh, who's giving them their marching orders? Yeah, right. Yes, you read my mind. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, because what we see going on around our planet, if we're talking about uh, all the systems uh, on Earth in a state of decline, uh, the, you know, ecologic systems in a state of decline, uh, societal systems also in a state of decline. Um, you know, I know people are greedy and people can be very nasty, but to me, it would sound like um, a real slow way to just get these pesky humans out of the way if you were some other kind of uh, some other kind of extraterrestrial race. And it also brings to mind what Paul Hellyer came out and said uh, some months ago. He uh, he said, uh, I believe he was defense minister of Canada, and he said uh-huh. that, oh yeah, there are four extraterrestrial races that have been on Earth. We are absolutely not alone. They've been here for thousands of years, and they'll continue to be here. I wonder if that doesn't have something to do with what we're talking about, if uh, maybe one or more of those four extraterrestrial races, uh, maybe Earth is their home before it was ours. Right. And if you uh, keep up with the work of Zachariah Sitchin and others who have translated the ancient Sumerian tablets that predate the Bible by thousands of years, you find that they came here and they clearly describe how they manipulated primitive Earth uh, DNA uh, to create a worker race. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, then that leaves some questions of then, well, wait a minute. Now, don't get me wrong, please. I'm not saying that uh, we're, we're created by aliens. Uh, interestingly enough, in these tablets, these uh, these extraterrestrials, these Anunnaki, they had the same ethical questions that we're having. Uh, when their science officer said, you know, I think I can uh, jimmy with the DNA and I think I can... Uh, produce a, a race that will work for us, do all the hard work, uh, so we don't have to do it. Uh, plenty of them said, well, wait a minute, you know, only God can create. Uh, and his argument was, and this is very, very interesting, he said, well, I'm not talking about creating anything, I'm just talking about improving the breed. Okay, oops, that's the same thing we do today with horses, cows, animals, sheep, dogs, cats. You know, we... we we breed them for certain characteristics uh, to make them bigger, to make them uh, friendlier, to you know all this stuff. Oh, and sure, that, selectively. And, and that was that we've been doing that for thousands of years. That was before we knew how to manipulate DNA. Now, with cloning and and uh, DNA manipulation, uh, God knows what we could create. Uh, you know, and so again, they didn't create us, but they manipulate. And this is why I believe, Heather, that uh, I know all my life. I've early on, you don't hear about this much anymore, but it used to be the big deal was they were looking for um, f- uh, for the missing link. Okay? Yes, yes. The, uh, we know about we know about anthropopiscus, uh, whatever it is. They were very early people and then we know come up to neanderthal and then all of a sudden it just jumps to cro-magnon you know modern man and there doesn't seem to be a bridge there in fact uh you know we all bow down and and worship at darwin's feet and yet darwin himself said if you cannot show a unconnected line of the fossil record then you know my theory doesn't work well they haven't, and his theory doesn't work, and yet we're still being taught that uh, because it suits the masters 
you know, it suits their purposes because if they can convince us that we just evolved from monkeys and we're little more than advanced animals and and blah, 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 then we'll be easier to control, mm-hmm. okay? So they said they, they did that, and they they even described how they did it. And so, yes, I think they've been here, and they've been trying to control us ever since. It also explains some real anomalies in the human DNA system. For example, uh, the uh, telomerase caps uh, that are at the end of the DNA chain. You know, science will tell you, every seven or nine years, every cell in your body has regenerated. That's right. The cells that are in your body today were not there 10 years ago, okay, because your body has regenerated new cells. Well, then, okay, now wait a minute. What a wonderful thing, you know. If that's the case, then why don't they just keep regenerating, and why don't we live to be 200, 500, 1,000 years old? Because of the telomerase caps at the end of the DNA chain that kick in after you reach a certain age, and they tell your body to quit reproducing the cells. And your cells begin to die, and they're not reproduced, and you age, and you die. Okay? Well, wait a minute. What kind of loving God would put a cap on our DNA so that we can't live past a a certain age, you know? And that as we get older and older, we get more and more wrinkled and disease-prone and and crippled and everything else. That that doesn't sound right. As the telomeres flare uh, and uh, and, uh, fray, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, then it it becomes more and more difficult to uh, reproduce the same DNA. Exactly. So so who who put those caps on our DNA and why? Mm, oh, because in millennia past, you know, it was it's often said by much more than one culture uh, that humans lived for uh, much longer than we do today. Exactly. Think of Methuselah, okay? And uh, so was it the fact that uh, that extraterrestrials manipulated our DNA and they were consciously put the caps on there so that we wouldn't live uh, as long as they do, so we wouldn't uh, learn and become as wise as they are because we might become competitors? Well, you know, we certainly would. And, uh, and we're aggressive. And we're yet. Yeah, thank you. And that we have it. guns. <laughs> well, and now we've got guns. Yeah, but I'm sure we've always been, uh, throughout history, we've always been a warlike uh, race. And, right. you know, you got to make us, well, let's make them a little more, uh, make their lives just a little more fragile. And maybe right. that will get it under wraps. Maybe that will get them under control. Uh, you've got to imagine several things had to have been tried uh, to yeah. get humans under control. Well, that's why we have all the legends of the chimera and the and the uh, you know the uh, uh, the Egyptian gods with the hawk head and the jackal head and the you know the uh, centaurs and and all like that. I think these were uh, genetic experiments that uh, ended up being dead end and they didn't uh, they didn't survive. Mm, wow. Well, you know when you think about it in the terms we're talking about tonight, then. A lot of open-ended questions, questions that just don't seem to to make sense with the theories that are available to us, then start to make a little more sense if you look at the picture the way we're looking at it tonight. Well, it's where the evidence leads, okay? That's what I do. Hey, I don't wake up in the morning and go, hey, what 
if aliens landed and did blah blah. You know, I just, I, I just follow the evidence, and that's that's where it leads to. I'll tell you a little personal experience of mine that might give you some insight. I went to a meeting one time, and that one of the Rockefellers was supposed to attend, and the whole idea, there was a bunch of scientists there, and the whole idea was we were supposed to be talking about alternative energy sources, and particularly free energy, you know. Well, the Rockefeller, representative of the Rockefeller never showed up. So I'm talking to the guy who had arranged the meeting and was in contact with the Rockefellers. And I said, so what's the deal? You know, how come uh, they didn't show up? Aren't they interested in free energy? Mm-hmm. He he looked at me quite seriously and said, uh, "They've been told we're not ready for that yet." Oh, and I said, I said oh, "Wait a minute! Who tells the Rockefellers we're not ready for free energy?" I said, "Are you talking about uh, non-humans?" And he glanced around to make sure nobody's looking at it, and he nodded his head. Said, "Yeah." Man. Well, I mean, there you go. That that's the thing. I mean, people got to realize uh, you didn't just stumble on this yesterday. No, uh, I didn't just wake up and think, oh, I think this, you know. Yeah. I, hey, Heather, well, I, I got a wild theory matter, for you. Know, but. Uh, but yeah, so you didn't just stumble on this uh, just yesterday in order to, to shake people up. This is years and years of research and looking into things right. and talking to people. And that, I mean, you just blew me away with that. Uh, well, that is- it's really interesting that, you know, you go talk to just somebody on the street or just your your old college buddies or whatever. You start talking about aliens and they some very often roll their eyes and act like, well, you must be some kind of nut. But when you talk to people who actually know, and like you mentioned, Paul Hellier, there's a, there's a good example. But I'll give you another one. I had occasion to be at an event, and I was in the uh, restaurant or whatever, and I was sitting at a table with Dr. Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and a man who's on the record saying, yes, we have been in touch with aliens, and we have gotten alien technology, okay? So I'm sitting there, and I'm really dying to ask him about aliens, but here's the guy, here's an astronaut that walked on the moon. I didn't want to, you know, act like a goof and and uh, get going. And thankfully, somebody else at the table broached the subject, and off he goes. And he's telling us this, that, and the other thing. And it suddenly dawned on me, I'm sitting here talking to the sixth man to walk on the moon, a, a military officer, a, uh astronaut, and we're talking about aliens just as calmly and rationally as we'd be talking about the weather. So, you know, they know. At certain levels, they know, and they accept it, and they work with it, okay? It's only, it's only uh, us out here, you know, uh, who read the books and watch the TV shows and watch the YouTubes and, and, and trying to figure things out that, that are wondering, and uh, trying to piece everything together. Well, there you go right back to the narrative that we're sold. Part of that narrative is, what are you kidding me? You must be out of your mind. There's no such thing as aliens. Right. You know, that that's built into that, that narrative that we're being sold. And well, and look what that's done to us, okay? Let's, uh, let's talk about the moon briefly, okay? Isaac Asimov, who was uh, not only a great science fiction writer, but a really, really credible and reputable scientist, said the moon shouldn't be where it is. Well, what do you mean? 
Well, what he meant was is that if you'll stop and think about it, when I was a kid, we were taught the moon broke away from the earth at some point. But now that we said we've been to the moon and we've brought back uh, moon rocks, and some of them are older than the earth, okay, and uh, and they're of different compositions. So the moon did not come from the earth. The moon came from somewhere else. So picture the earth hanging in space. Here comes the moon traveling through space. It goes past the earth, gets caught in the gravitational pull, slowly turns, comes back, passes the earth again, heads way out, gets caught in the gravitational pull, comes back again. And over millennium, then, what we should have is a moon that's in an elliptical orbit around the earth, pretty wobbly, because the center of gravity of the moon, they've determined, is off-center. Now, you take a ball then the center of it, gravity is off-center, and you roll it on the floor, it's not going to roll in a straight line. It's going to wobble all over the place. So the moon should be wobbling around the Earth at kind of an elliptical, uh, oval-shaped uh, orbit, and yet what we know for certain is that it's in a near-perfect circular orbit right around the equator of the Earth, with one side and stationary, with one side always facing the Earth, and the dark side, of course, never facing the Earth. How is that possible? And the answer is, it's not. So how do we deal with that? The only explanation, the only explanation, and by the way, the moon is at just the precise distance from the Earth so that when it eclipses the sun, it it perfectly uh, fills the corona of the sun. Right. Yeah, that has always raised my eyebrow. Yeah. Wait a minute. How yeah. is that possible? It's not. Okay, but here's our thinking, all right? Uh, we know the moon's been there as far back as recorded history when people lived in caves, so we know we didn't. The only way you can explain the moon being where it is is that it was placed there intelligently. It was parked in that position. But we know we didn't do it, and we all know there's no such things as aliens, so we just don't talk about it. Right. That makes it a lot easier. Let's just let's just keep that out of the story. We can't explain it, so let's just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. And let's not talk about anomalous things that have been found uh, in photographs of the moon. No, no, no. Don't bring that up. on, around. (laughs) Um, Yes. Oh, yes. And people have been trying to talk about this uh, for decades. And oh, no, let's not talk about that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of odd things. Uh, and yeah, I think I think the chapter that got the most comment on my book, Alien Agenda, which is, uh, a, a well, as you mentioned earlier, the top-selling nonfiction book on UFOs in the world, and it, it covers everything, Heather, not only just UFOs, but crop circles, animal mutilations, and e- even the chupacabra, re- remote viewing, uh, you know, all of that. It's all, it's all in there, but the chapter that got the most comment was the very first one, which I entitled The Greatest UFO, and it's about the moon. (laughs) Because the moon, yes, it's there, and uh, it is circular, and it does fly around the Earth, so it isn't, and we don't really know that much about it, so it is an unidentified flying object. 
but then when I brought up the position of the moon, the moon rocks that are older than the Earth, the uh, rattling and the uh, groaning that can be heard uh, almost as if plates are shifting within the moon, uh, the fact that when one of the lunar landers crashed back onto the surface of the moon, NASA officials announced that it rang like a bell That's, for yes. like six or seven hours, okay, indicating it may be hollow. Okay, there's just and then the shard, this a mile high object that, that's sticking up off the surface of the moon. There are photographs of things moving on the moon. They've seen uh, water. They've seen uh, gases flowing across the moon. Uh, they've uh, uh, they've seen uh, uh, cigar shaped objects moving. Oh, there yeah. are, I've got photographs from NAFA that show tracks on the moon as if something, you know, like a, looks like a track vehicle has moved along there, you know. Lights have been seen. Even Armstrong uh, and, uh, uh, who was the other guy? Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin, thank you. Even as they were circling, uh, getting ready to land on the moon in Apollo 11, uh, I've got newspaper clippings showing that they were announcing they'd seen a bright light coming out of one of the uh, craters. Oh, that's there. right. That's right. And they're on the remember edge that? of the crater, and they're looking at us. Uh, yeah. I remember that, yes. And, and the, that see, that slipped out because the censors and the, and the editors and the people who normally grab stuff and keep it from us... Uh, at that time, scientists were saying, well, it's probably volcanic activity on the moon, you know. You're right, so because that makes sense. those actually got out. We heard about this bright light they saw coming out of the, I think it was the crater Aristarchus. And uh, and then, of course, once we got to the moon, and now, subsequently now they say they're, it's dead. There's no volcanic activity. So, wait a minute. So what was causing the light that they saw coming out of this crater? But see, all this stuff, everybody forgets that. And it never gets repeated, and and they don't make a big deal about it. In fact, they scrub it. We act like that's not happening, you know, just like the explanation for the moon itself. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Because, hey, there's uh, there's some petty thing here down on Earth that uh, that all the news networks got to pick up and and say, well, this is what you need to be worried about today. That's uh, right. Rather we, than we got another brainwashed assassin who opens fire in a mall somewhere, you know, so we got to we got to go nuts over that for a few days. And oh, keep sure. Everybody, keep, keep everybody's mind off the Middle East and off the dead oceans and off the melting ice caps and all the real news. <laughs> oh, sure. And the origin of man and the history, the real history of Earth and how it was created and everything. Let's, uh, we, we don't need to worry about that. And no, all these no, things that are kept that, up yeah. in cupboards that are locked away at the Smithsonian, you know, don't pay attention to that either. Uh, <laughs> we'll right. tell you like, what to like be worried Egyptian, about. Like the Egyptian objects that they took out of the north part of the Grand Canyon back in the uh, early 1900s. You know, we, we just won't talk about that. Okay? Oh, sure. Yeah. And it goes on and on. But hey, if any of you listening, if you if this any of this stuff really interests you, uh, pick up my book, Our Occulted History. Okay, uh, because let me explain to you about I use the term occulted, not in the uh, uh, devil worshiping zombie voodoo uh, thing that most people think of the occult. Uh, I use it in the astronomical sense. Uh, when the moon eclipses the sun, that's called an occultation. Uh, it occults the sun. It hides or masks the sun. And so our occulted history basically means our hidden 
history. It's about the history that's been kept from you and is not taught in school. And if you'll read our occulted history, this gets into everything Heather and I are talking about, all the way back to ancient astronauts coming forward through secret societies and uh, all the way up to anomalous uh, objects and things being found all around the world. Uh, you, you know, Heather, you know what? Uh, anomalous uh, is just the scientific term for WTF. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, well, so our hands are up. We have no idea. Look, I have let the time absolutely get away from us. I could talk to you, uh, just you and I on the air for another hour, but uh, we've got a phone system here full of calls. Uh, you want to uh, see if we, we can't get, get one in it. before the break? All right, let's do that. Uh, over on the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the show. You been, you know, I had a question when we you started this out by something. You okay, said. hang on now. Are you uh, what? Whoa, 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 are you on speakerphone, sir? Yeah. You got to take it off of speakerphone. That's talk radio one hundred and one. Well, okay, just a second. All right. Well, you know, Jim will be waiting for you. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. I didn't know. I haven't had one oh one yet. All right. Well, there you go. You're much better. That's you passed your first yeah, you lesson. Sound a lot better. Uh, there we go. All right. Is this better? Yeah, and you're on the air. So go ahead and shoot. Uh, what's your question for Jim? Hello. Uh, oh no. Okay. You got a question for Mr. Jim Mars? Yeah. Okay. You're welcome to ask it. Well, I can't. Damn. What what's the what's I'm sorry, are you can you hear me? Yes, I've got you, yes, but it sounds like you're back on okay, speakerphone. I'm running I'm, out I'm of sorry. patience I, here. I'm sorry. I, you were asking me the question, I couldn't tell you could hear me because I did Okay, here's the deal. I've been in a lot of directions and all of them are deep in and I wanted to uh present this to you and Jim both about my opinion is I've been I'm 73. I've been studying this stuff since 1992, and the first thing that led me to it was a complete reading of Zachariah Sitchin's. And I was so glad to hear Jim uh, refer to those. It's my opinion that this family fight that's been going on over the human race within the Anunnaki race and culture is what. Is causing our problems. Those are the people that are fighting, and they're the ones that uh, are. I think one side of the family is uh, with Elon, and Elon's trying to get us free of this situation, and the other side of the family is sabotaging that. And and uh, I believe that uh, there are others here that are sworn to not interfere, and it's kind of like it's their game that they've been playing for so long with us that. They're not going to interfere, and uh, I, I believe that's what's happening. All right. Well, and listen, we're uh, we're by you and see what you think of it. Okay. Well, stay right where you are, uh, and then we can get Jim's answer for you. Uh, you guys can talk about that as soon as we get back from the break. I was wanting to get you on before we have to take a break, and that time is now. So we'll get 
Jim's answer, which I'm sure he has, uh, when we come back. And we'll take more of your calls, all right? I'm Heather Wade. We'll be right back in a few moments. Well, I was hoping that our first-time caller that we had there would stay on the line uh, so he'd get the chance to talk to Jim Mars about his question. But over the break, uh, looks like he hung up. So we'll have to get uh, the answer from Jim here. Uh, Jim, welcome back to the show. Um, actually, wait, I think we've got our caller calling us back. I think. Let me see. First time caller line. Is that you? Yes, it is. I'm so sorry. I have a great deal of difficulty with these new smartphones. They're smarter than I am. <laughs> well, and that's if you touch t- it in the wrong place. You hang up, and that's what I did. Oh well, that I makes two of us. Get back in case. That's all right. Well, I'm glad we got you back on the line. First of all, I wanted to thank you for the call. And, uh, you know, Jim, did you catch his question there before the break? And if you did, what do you think about that? He makes a good point, and I think there's some truth to that. Of course, I can't give any hard and fast answers because we don't know. Okay, but I do think that there's various uh, species here. I think there's maybe various families and cliques, tribes, whatever you want to call them. And I think that they have their internal squabbles. And I think we see this reflected uh, in the real world. Uh, You know, uh, for example, uh, I think a good example is our precipitous invasion of Iraq. You know, number one, Iraq, and this is now, this is not conspiracy theory. This is George W. Bush himself admitted that Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. None of the hijackers were Iraqis. Uh, You know, so so what's the deal about invading Iraq? Well, they said, first off, of course, they lied to us and said that Saddam Hussein was about to make an atomic weapon to use against us. That wasn't true. Then they said, oh, well, yeah, but he's got weapons of mass destruction hidden away. Well, that's not true. Then they said, oh, well, okay, we got to go gain control over their oil supplies. Well, that's not true because I checked, and before we invaded Iraq, we were only getting 14% of our imported oil from Iraq, and we're not even getting that now because of all the devastation and all the fighting that's going on. So all of that was not true. So what was the real reason for invading Iraq? And I maintain it was because we had to send our troops rushing uh, into Baghdad, okay? Uh, this goes totally against military strategy, which is you uh, you set your objective, you capture your objective, you consolidate your winnings in the area, uh, you make it secure, and then you move on to the next objective. We didn't do that. We just went straight to Baghdad. And what happened in Baghdad? The looting of the Iraqi National Museum, okay? Now, a Colonel Matthew Bagdanos, who investigated the uh, Iraqi Museum break-in for General Tommy Franks, wrote an article and said that the basement was an inside job. They knew what they were after. They had keys to some of the vaults. Some of the guards were suspiciously missing. They they bypassed expensive-looking fakes and went right for the basement and right for... Well, what's going to be in the basement? Uh, Newly discovered artifacts uh, from the ancient Sumerian culture, Mm. because we know that Saddam Hussein was trying to 
uh, rebuild Babylon, okay? In fact, he thought himself the reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And so we had to go in there to get these artifacts. Why? Because they were the uh, the leavings. They were the uh, what was left over from the ancient Anunnaki technology that they had back uh, thousands of years ago. And so, see, here's a here's an interdicting warfare going on that we're not being told about. We see the outward manifestations, and we're told the cover stories, but we're never told what the infighting is truly all about. But, and uh, another thing that I'm, what I'm talking about is is that back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, when the cities, ancient Sumerian cities of Uruk and Ur were first being excavated, and people were beginning to figure out that, hey, there was a civilization here more advanced and and even greater than ancient Egypt. Who was it that went over there and bought up a lot of that stuff? John D. Rockefeller, okay, and the Rothschilds. They moved in, too, and got a lot of those things because they know about this. They know what the real history is. It's only uh, us poor taxpayers who are kept in the dark about what's really going on. So I think the caller has a real point. I think there is some uh, uh, under-the-table warfare going on, and, of course, we're not privy to who or why. Mm, right. Well, I wonder, is that, uh, does that answer your question, caller? Uh, pretty well. Uh, you know. Yes. Okay, I think he got cut off or something. Uh, I show the call still active, but that did answer his question. Unfortunately, i got to keep moving because there are a lot of people on the line that want to talk to you, uh, Jim. And uh, I will refrain from adding to what you said so that we can move on. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to line one. You're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the show. Hello, is that me? That would be you. Okay, well, first of all, uh, happy uh, Wednesday to the both of you. Thank and you. Howdy. Mm-hmm. And Jim, you you are my brother from another mother, and Evan, <laughs> my sister from another mister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like you were saying that we're the Earth is like on the quarantine, I, I, I was thinking of it because I'm an artist, so I try to get the re- creative side of it. It's like we're on a cosmic probation. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, we're like on a cosmic probation. It's kind of like uh, uh, they study us so they know our agenda. And I think once we get our relationship with each other together as human beings, then maybe they allow us to go to Mars or what have you. But but they know it's pretty good. Yeah, they do. And uh, they, uh, I, you know, yeah, we're a warlike species, but we're also a caring species. You know, uh, all you have to do is look at the, in the wake of any natural disaster, like a hurricane or a tornado or whatever, people band together and they support each other and they rebuild and they take care of each other. And uh, I don't I don't agree with the people who think that we're just savages and, and uh, you know, we do have those tendencies because we're led that way, okay? Uh, never 
never forget the words of Hermann Goering, who was the, uh, you know, the, one of the top Nazis. And he said, it's easy to get people to go to war. Uh, you know, people don't want to go to war. It's the leaders. And all you have to do is tell them that there's an enemy out there and that, any, you know, and that anybody who uh, questions that or shirks, they're, they're unpatriotic. Okay? And then you can lead them to war. But that's exactly what we do. So what we got to do is we got to blow off these lead, so-called leaders because they're not leading anyway. In fact, uh, uh, I saw a bumper one sticker one time that I think pretty well sums it up. It said, hey, wait for me. I'm your leader. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, it's easy to forget that they are working for us. Uh, they've forgotten right. that. But check this out. Uh, this, this, this one more thing. Uh, uh, in 1977, I was working uh, at a cartoon studio, and I used to do cleanup for this uh, doctor. And I was reading a book called by Carl Sagan called uh, Intelligent Life in the Universe. And I was talking to my doctor, and he's like, old oh, German doctor. I said, you believe in life, you know, like aliens? He said, yeah, they've been landing here for years. <laughs> this was back in 1977. Wow. And I was reading this book, and I got to share this with you, and I'll get off. It was reading a book uh, uh, where in the, uh, Carl Singer's book, where this guy was on trial about something, and he said he went to the pyramids, and this guy in a white robe beckoned him to follow him while they were going inside the pyramids. So they went into this room. He said, I want to show you something real quick, but you have to keep this between me and you. So they go into this room, and there was a cross and a crown of thorns and this UFO that was in the style of uh, 1952 Buicks. And the guy said, check this out, the guy said he was one of our uh, astronauts. And he came to this world, and he was met with a lot of hostility. And I never <laughs> told any one of my Christian brothers and sisters this <laughs> story, but it's always, it always stuck to my mind. So what do you uh, think of that? Well, I appreciate uh, you calling up. Yeah. That's, uh, you're not the first one to suggest that certain uh, uh, iconic figures in history may not have been uh, uh, perfectly human. Wow, oh, that's a pretty wild. I appreciate the call very much. Um, you know, came down from the sky, was able to heal people with a word, you know, and all these things. It really does make a person start to question things. I mean, if you look at it through those eyes. Right. Uh, it doesn't change any of the facts. It just all it is is just you have to take a different look at it. Uh, the, the other fellow mentioned Sitchin. Uh, that's all Sitchin did. Uh, you can go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and you can look up the Sumerian gods, Enki, Enlil, Narharshug, all the ones that Sitchin talks about, and uh, it's all there. It's all in the Encyclopedia Britannica. The only difference is is that in, in the Encyclopedia it's under Sumerian mythology. They tell you the same story, but they tell you, oh, it's just, that was just their gods. They just, basically, they made that all up, you know. Sitchin says, wait a minute, maybe these, it tells the same story, but he says, maybe these people were telling us what they knew to be the truth. 
Mm -hmm. That's right, Uh, because they certainly talked about it in all that mythology. In fact, it was Greek and Roman mythology uh, got me involved uh, or interested in all things paranormal uh, because it made me wonder, you know, why would they make up such long convoluted stories unless these people, you know, unless they knew these people, unless they knew about them, looked at them, saw them, you know, so the gods all lived at the top of Mount Olympus. Oh, really? And this is a story that was just made up uh, by a bunch of crazy people? I don't think so. I don't think so either, Heather. And here's the thing. In my book, Ruled by Secrecy, if you'll read that, it tracks the secret societies of the day all the way back to the Anunnaki. And the point I make, in fact, I have a little graph here uh, that shows uh, the the characteristics of these so-called gods, which you could read as extraterrestrials, they're all the same. It's simply the name changes uh, with the language change, okay? For example, the god uh, that the Sumerians said was the heavenly father, the, the overall boss, the guy who is somewhere outside of Earth uh, is Anu. The Egyptian, he's Amun-Ra. The Greek, he's Kronos, and to the Romans, he's Saturn. But then when it gets to the the person who's the boss over the world, uh, the Sumerians said that was Enlil. The Egyptians call him Set. The Greeks call him Zeus, and the Romans call him Jupiter. Same thing with his brother, his rival, which to uh, the Sumerians was Enki. To the Egyptian is Osiris, to the Greeks Apollo, and Vulcan to the Romans. These are they all have the same characteristics. It's almost like they're talking about the same personalities, the same individuals. They just have different names because the language changed mm. and the culture changed just a little bit. But right. why would right. all these different cultures have uh, the same kind of descriptions, the same kind of stories about their gods uh, across cultures? You know, I mean, what are the odds? Exactly. Yeah, uh, let's keep it moving here. Let's go to line four. You're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the program. Heather, how are you? Well, I'm having a good time with Jim Mars tonight. Uh, about yourself, you got a question? No, I got. No, I got a question for Jim. Great show. You hit it out of the ballpark again. <laughs> well, Jim, thank Jim for that. <laughs> Jim, you're the man. You touched on so many different things tonight. I'm sitting here with my Jersey brothers and. We're having discussions about something that happened to us relating to ET's UFOs when we were just little guys in the 70s. We were born in 59. My brother Ralph was born in 61, okay? My mom asked us to go to the store one day. We go to the store for her, make a long story short. We lock eyes on this. The only thing I can call it is what? A hybrid. We, we, we looked at this. Person hybrid thing, and it looked at us like it was telecommunicating with us. Um, we knew, that yeah, knew what we were thinking, and we knew that it knew that. In other words, like we were talking. Yeah, we were talking to it mentally, not verbally, and it looked at us like it was looking right through. Us. And it looked, it was like, I can hear your friend in the background trying to get the story yeah. out. That's funny. <laughs> Around us was perfectly, was perfectly normal. normal. Yeah, and it was like, oh, it's 
saw it, that we were digging that we knew it was different in some way, shape, or form, and it knew that we knew that it was, and nobody, and, else, could and nobody else could see it. And I, uh, I guess the way we could describe it, it was almost like, yeah, and I don't mean this to sound because I'm not against LGBT. Yeah, have you ever seen people that are in between transgender? They're in between a man and a woman. It's not a knock. It's not none of that. It's just, it wasn't. There was just something not right about it yet. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I get yeah. I get what you're saying. It didn't seem like it was and, male or female, just kind of in between. Right. All right. right. Well, uh, what, what, uh, what did you want to ask Jim about the possibility of human-alien hybrids? Uh, what was your question exactly? I'm sorry. We already know that they exist. I just wanted to run up by him and tell him that also, it seemed like in World War II, because he touched on a couple of Nazi theories as well, about how during World War II, these people and the things that were done in the name of national security, national interest, national pride, um, the Nazis, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Russians, I mean, almost like the people, the leaders of these countries, they were invited to a different party that the normal people, the regular people, the masses were never invited to. And he on that, Jim. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's why the Nazis uh, came up with such miraculous technology towards the end of the war. Thank God it was a little bit too late for them, you know, but man, they had the first jet fighter, they had the first rockets, they had the first, you know, you name it, and, and their mind control experts were far ahead. Uh, they even built the secret thing. You need to read my book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich. You'll even find out that they actually developed an atomic bomb. But uh, by the time they had it ready to go there in uh, early 1945, uh, they simply did not have a reliable delivery system. They had a uh, base in Norway that they kept hanging on to because it had a bunch of uh, six-engine junkers, 390 bombers, that could actually reach New York. In fact, in 1942, a a woman pilot uh, from Germany flew one of these bombers uh, to within 25 miles of New York. York City and photographed uh, the uh, defense systems along there and everything, and then flew back over the Atlantic and went back to Europe. Uh, they, uh, but the airfield they had for these bombers, uh, the, their other big airfields had been overrun by the Allies, and this one was not quite ready, so they could work, they couldn't use that. They had a three-stage rocket, the, the A-10 that they called the New York rocket, but, uh, but it was, the, the problem was they didn't have a reliable guidance system. Uh, the way they had aimed the V1s and V2 rockets at London was they simply put enough fuel in it so they'd run out of fuel over London and then drop like a bomb. So that wasn't very uh, uh, appropriate and, and wasn't very certain about hitting New York, but they had an atomic bomb, and what they finally did was at the top levels, the top Nazis like Borman and uh, the head of IG Farben, they swapped this nuclear technology to the United States uh, in exchange for immunity. And uh, that's why that the German military, we beat them and they surrendered uh, at the Reims courthouse, but uh, schoolhouse. But uh, but the Nazis weren't even there. They weren't at the table. They they all left and they uh, they continued to move on and they have been in the process of setting up their fourth Reich um, you know, ever since, and uh, it's us.
Mm, and, you know, in the 40s, where would they have gotten that technology? You know, that the whole thing about the Vril and the occult that they were all involved with really makes a person wonder, where do they even get these ideas for some of right. the technology that they had at the time? So, you know, maybe the caller has got a valid point about... Uh, those in power in Germany being invited to some party that the rest of us weren't. That's right. Mm. I think he's right. All right. Well, let's uh, go to the first time caller line. And you are on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. How are you? Oh, having a good time. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Hey, I was wondering if I could ask you a question. It's a little off the mark. It was in reference to what you were talking about earlier in the debate. Uh, well, what's your question? Well, it's not really a question. It's just an observation that I made. Um, last night there was a gentleman that made the comment about Donald Trump drinking so much water and Hillary not touching her water and different things like that. Well, there's been speculation that she may have Parkinson's disease, and she's been seen to be having a lot of coughing spells and different things like that. Now, my brother had Parkinson's, and I can say, yes, when he drank a lot of times, he had a problem swallowing, and I'm wondering if maybe that's why she didn't touch her water. Hmm. Well, uh, Jim Mars is my guest tonight. Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes, and thank you for the call. Uh, you know, <laughs> there have been people recently taken off the air for talking about uh, Hillary's health. And this is not yeah, corporate how's media. Freedom and democracy. Yeah, right. Yeah, how's that freedom of speech working out for you? Um, but uh, I'll talk about it. I'm not scared. Um, what do you think about uh, what she brought up? Uh, in well, I, I, I can't say anything with any certainty because I don't even claim to, to be any kind of medical expert. But I have heard from some doctors, a friend of mine, and some doctors that I've read articles on the internet, and she does seem to be displaying the class symptoms of Parkinson's disease, uh, and it may be even worse than we think. I, I was quite honestly shocked and amazed after her uh, fall there after the 9-11 uh, meeting uh, where we see her getting basically tossed into this van. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, immediately, an hour and a half later, she's back with no Secret Service agents around her, and we're told that she's got pneumonia, but she nevertheless bends down and, and breathes all over this poor little girl, who, as I understand, turned out to be an actor anyway. And and the one, and this one's the one who walks out, far, and with all the, the photographers and everything way across the street, and she's waving and she's saying, oh, it's a nice day in New York and I'm fine. And I want to tell you, that does not seem to be the real Hillary Clinton. She's shorter and she's smoother skinned. Uh, she's more confident. She carried her purse on her uh, right shoulder, whereas Hillary traditionally has always carried her purse on her left shoulder. I, I'm just, I think it was a double. And so I was actually kind of shocked and amazed at how poised and how well she carried herself on Monday night. I, I guess they've got that cloning down pretty good now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to, well, you had to go I'm there. I'm mostly making a joke, but the, the thing is, right. though, I I think uh, I think obviously they had her boy they had her made up they had her propped up they had her 
mm-hmm. shot full of who knows what, and uh, but uh, and she conducted herself quite well, actually. Uh, although, if you'll stop and think, all she was saying were the were the same platitudes and and uh, that uh, she and Bill have said for what thirty years, and and I think uh, Donald Trump hit, hit hit a zinger when he said, "Well, you know, you're talking about all this great stuff you're going to do. How come you hadn't already done that in the past thirty years?" Oh, I thought that was one of the best mm-hmm. arguments brought up uh, through the whole night, uh, actually. Right. But right. yeah, well, I mean... They, but the thing is, if you go back and look, you'll find that it's the Democrats who traditionally have always appealed to the working class, the union people, to the minorities, and it's like, okay, we're, we're going to do everything for you, and they all vote for them, and yet it never gets done. No, it gets talked about a lot, though. Uh, oh, we got to give them that, it, sure. Do yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, we joke, but this is the latest conspiracy theory that's starting to come out is people talking about body doubles and cloning and all this stuff and you know we laugh about it but hey do we really know i don't know am i gonna get cloned is jim gonna get cloned and replaced i certainly hope not uh but i wouldn't put anything past the establishment when it comes to the clintons all right so we've got to take a break right now but we are going to take your calls when we get back with my guest tonight jim mars and don't forget you can call the program via skype if you have skype on your telephonic device uh just when you have skype open and uh, go up look for the search bar up at the top of the skype program and just type in mitd11 if you're in north america if you're in any other corner of the globe type in mitd21 and you can get into the program that way as soon as you hear the show audio on your device you know that you're about to be on the air and if I can, I would ask that please use the Skype Echo Test Call service so you can hear what your audio sounds like uh, before you actually get on the air. Um, that is a very useful tool so that when you do get on the air, you sound like you have authority in the question that you ask. You'll sound very good on the air and uh, you'll sound like you're sitting right here with us, including my guest, Jim Mars. So, Jim, welcome back to the show. Oh, my gosh. You ready to dive into more calls? Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Bring them on. Well, I shall. Uh, Over on line four, you're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the program. Hi, Heather um, and Jim. I'm not sure whether or not I'm on the air or not. Oh, you're on. Yeah, when I say you're on the air, you're on the air, (laughs) sir. I would not joshy on that. I I just got a uh, I'm, I'm just got a couple of questions and and then I'll listen to you, your answer off the air. I'm sorry, I'm rather nervous. And I'm trying to be quiet while my girlfriend's asleep uh, right next to me. To be quite honest, but well, it's it's natural <laughs> to feel nervous on the air, so it's it's all right. Just sort of feel that nervousness and talk anyway, because because you're welcome here. You're among friends. Thank you, and um, I appreciate that. Uh, I was curious as to whether or not uh, what do you guys, what are your guys' thoughts on the Anunnaki? Thoughts and on the Anunnaki? Why, why is it? Why is it? Why is it that nobody really wants to understand that? Okay, well, that's a pretty what? general question, but I'm sure yeah, Jim can tackle it. I don't understand that. I'm trying to be quiet, and I'm nervous, and and I don't. And when you read the Bible, and I've, it's it's pretty clear. 
and uh, how everything is really um, misunderstood and I don't understand why everybody doesn't really see what I'm <laughs> or understand what I'm reading. Right. They and, don't see it the way you see it. Um, you know what I mean? I, it's, it just seems so clear. It's absolutely clear. What people, well, I'll tell you the answer to your question. The reason most people don't understand it is because most people refuse to look at it, okay? Most people, you mention the Anunnaki, they don't even know what you're talking about. Then you talk to churchgoers, religious uh, re- religious people, and, uh, oh, my God, they don't want to hear about it either because that's not what they were taught in Sunday school, and that's not what they hear in church. And uh, and they misconstrue it all anyways, just like I already uh, mentioned to the previous caller about, you know, please don't get the idea that I'm trying to say that we were created by aliens because we were not, okay? But it does seem clear uh, through the because of the scientific record and the fact that there is no clear fossil record leading from uh, anthropoids up to modern man that uh, there is the real possibility that somebody has tampered with our DNA along the way, okay? Now, they they don't want to hear about it. They don't read about it. They don't know about it. It, and if the, and and some of the intellectual types, uh, they write it off as as mythology. They say, "Well, it's just ancient legends." And yet, when you go back, you'll find that the Sumerian tablets uh, are in existence. They were uh, carved. Uh, their cuneiform writing was put into clay tablets, and then they were baked. So they're like rocks. Okay, they're stone, and there's thousands of them. But they're buried in basements of museums all around the world. Only about twenty percent of them have been translated and yet the ones that have been translated clearly state that uh, 320,000 years ago the Anunnaki came here and they began to uh, colonize and then they used uh, they took the uh, uh, the uh, egg of a uh, of an uh, anon- of a human uh, of an Anunnaki male and they implanted that in the uterus of an Anunnaki female, uh, and then uh, she carried it to birth, and they had a cesarean birth, and they had then they created what they call the Adama or the Adam. Adam, that's interesting. Uh, the uh, the first Earth uh, hybrid. Okay, now. These, all these tablets were written thousands of years before the Bible was ever written down, and yet they essentially tell many of the very same stories. They talk about how that the Anunnaki would interbreed with the humans. In the Bible, they talk about the Nephilim, the giants of old, and that they would lay with the women of Earth, okay, interbreed with Earth people. Uh, we get the story of Noah, and everybody who's gone to church knows the story of Noah and the ark and the animals and the blah, blah. All of that was written down thousands of years previously in the Anunnaki um, tablets, except for two incredible, uh, two uh, significant differences. The story's the same. Uh, his God came to the guy, told him to build an ark, told him how to do it, told him to put pitch and bitumen in it to seal it, blah, blah, blah. He went, the rains came, they, they rode out the, the uh, flood, uh, and then they let loose birds, and when one of them didn't come back, they knew there was land somewhere, and they finally landed, uh, and in both accounts, on Mount Ariad in southern Turkey, okay? Uh, so it's, all, it's exactly the same story with two uh, differences. One, the Bible, of course, the guy's name is Noah, in the Sumerian uh, text, 
it's Upner Pishkin and, and maybe even another name, but the story's the same. But the real significant difference is that in the Bible, we're told that Noah took two of every living things on the ark, which to me, I never could quite comprehend that. Are you telling me we got lions and gazelles together on the boat and they don't eat, you know, the lion doesn't eat the gazelle? Yeah, right. You know? And so that that is never and besides what do you where are all these animals on the boat for forty days where do they go to the bathroom you know I mean it must have been a real mess and so it never quite made sense to me but in the Sumerian account which is a much earlier and probably more correct account it said that uh, Upner Pishkin or the Sumerian Noah was told to take the seed of every living thing, okay? Whoa, wait a minute. So now, instead of a boatload of animals, you've got a boat with a closet that has DNA samples in it, okay? Now, that makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So, but see, the, the the super religious types, they've been taught and conditioned their whole life to just accept everything on faith. And so they just believe it, and they don't want to hear anything different, and that's why they don't want to listen to you, and they don't want to study, they don't want to open their mind, they don't want to compare the Sumerian writings, the Egyptian writings, the writings of the Babylonians and of the other Assyrians and the Phoenicians and the other uh, ancient people who were closer to the events of the Bible than the Bible. The Bible wasn't even written down uh, uh, up until about 300 years before the time of Jesus. Jesus, okay? And and yet they're talking about things that happened a thousand, ten thousand years, a hundred thousand years earlier. And so uh, up until the time it was finally written down in the Aramaic and then finally translated into Greek and then into Latin, finally into English, uh, 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 the uh, it was all uh, word of mouth. And if you've ever played that parlor game where you get like a line of people and the first person whispers a sentence in the next person's ear and then they whisper it on down the line, by the time it comes out, word of mouth, it's usually real garbled from what was said in the first place. Oh, sure. I mean, I've always believed if you're going to get down to the truth of something, go back as far as you have to go to when that story was first told. Exactly. Get, and that's how you get to it. Source. Yeah, yeah exactly. Back to the original source. Yeah. So to answer your question, the, the information's there for anybody that wants to study it and actually think rationally about it with an open mind. But uh, there's too many people who don't want to know. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's a very good uh, answer to his question. And uh, look. I understand that you'll be nervous calling into the program. You're among friends. It's all it's perfectly all right. Uh, but thank you very much for the call. Let's go to line three, and you're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Heather. Good evening, Jim. Howdy. Uh, this is Mike Montana. Yeah, who's been on hold, I think, over three hours to talk to you, Jim. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, let's go, Mike. What do you need? Well, we just had the 15th anniversary of 9-11, which I consider unresolved. I was wondering if you could give me your opinion. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> you're being too kind. Unresolved. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely correct, but that's uh, you're being very kind. Uh, we've been lied to about 9-11 from the get-go. Uh, and in fact, uh, let me, and, and instead of me uh, preaching at you, let me simply quote to you from John Farmer. Now, who's John Farmer? Is he a conspiracy theorist? Uh, no. No, he was a former new, uh, Attorney General of New Jersey, and uh, he uh, 
was the senior counsel of the official 9-11 commission. So here's a head lawyer for George W. Bush's hand-picked 9-11 commission, and here's what he wrote in a book in 2009. He said, quote, In the course of our investigation into the national response of the attacks, the 9-11 Commission staff discovered that the official version of what had occurred that morning, that is, what government, military officials had told Congress, the Commission, the media, and the public about who knew what and when, was almost entirely and inexplicably untrue. And just to make sure that you you didn't misunderstand him, on the next page he says, at some level of the government, at some point in time, there was a decision not to tell the truth about what happened. And, of course, if you've looked at anything having to do with 9-11, you know, the the official story of 9-11 has so many holes in it you could drive a truck through it. Uh, First, we're told that a plane hit the Pentagon, and yet I... You know what I have wanted to do, Jim, is to have uh, a 9-11 debate on the program. Uh, Sounds like you're pretty fired up about that. Would you participate in such a thing? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Why Why do you think Obama is threatening to veto the legislation that would allow us to sue Saudi Arabia for their role in 9-11. And I'll tell you the reason for that is because if you dig deep enough, you'll find the closest friends and business partners of the Saudis and the bin Laden family was the Bush family. They were over there in the summer of 2000 visiting in a social uh, in a social business. And, of course, uh, when all the damage started happening with, because of al-Qaeda, uh, who gets the contracts to rebuild everything over there but the bin Laden construction company? Uh, when we were prevented from flying during the no-fly zone, who was able to fly across the United States, gather in Boston, and fly out of the country without even being interrogated? The bin Laden family. Come on, folks. It was an inside job. Well, I would love to hear you. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, I'm going to have to find an equally spirited opposition for you. Uh, but I Good would, luck, I would... <laughs> because you might be able to find a bought-off structural engineer or an architect or somebody who might be able to go and, and talk real nuance, but you're not going to find anyone who can address the major issues of 9-11, who I, who I think would be willing to come on and debate in a fair debate. Well, I'd, la- I'd have to find them. I'd have to find, uh, and I'd have to be absolutely up front, look, this is who you're going to be debating, but I would, I've been wanting to do this for a long, long time. And, I'd take on anybody. Uh, all right, well, hey, we've got, we've got <laughs> future plans then sir okay. uh, let's let's do that all right so we are running out of time and there are people that are uh, waiting to okay. speak with you let's go here uh, and you'll have to keep it uh, keep it to just one yeah. question but you're on the air with Jim I'll, Mars welcome I'll try to the to show keep it quick too I got I'm on the air thank god okay look uh, if you can let me follow up at the end I'm going to talk really fast uh, Heather, you ought to get that nose and face issues up on your Facebook. I sent you two new links. They're still working. You can get it before they take them down. Uh, what I want to say is, Hillary, i, I got to get to Water Von Brown, so don't cut me off till I get to him. But first I want to say, 
Hillary taunted everyone the next day after a debate when she got on the plane. You should see this video. She got she was walking up the steps and as she started to walk up, she put both arms and hands down on the rail like she was about to fall over or, or had to be a cripple. You know what I'm saying? And then what she did was she started laughing and she took both her arms off the rail and then swung them up in the air like a bird, like she's a free bird, doesn't need the rails or anything to help her walk up to get on the plane. And she just laughed. I mean, I know you talk about uh, uh, hackling at getting back at us. Boy, I'll tell you, she's good at it. But, uh, okay, so now I want to go on to the thing about the uh, – I keep an open eye about UFOs. I've seen a UFO, a legitimate. I'm certain of that 100%. Now I want to go into that. But one of the things that I, I'd never take a, any solution to the answer to UFOs. I think we need 10 solutions until we really get the proof that there is the solution. But one thing, Warner Von Braun, who was the ex-Nazi genius, the goddess of Americans on the moon, without him, we were never going to get to the moon. And uh, Carol Rawson, if you search it on the Internet, Warner Von Braun, Alien Agenda, or Carol Rawson, R-O-S-I-N, in 1977 warned that the power that be, the powers that be, will use the E.T. Alien Agenda, the alien threat idea, to begin a new world government and new world order agendas to rule humanity. This was something that Warner Von Braun... Question, sir. Question. Please get to the question. We are quickly running out of time. Well, that's my question is that uh, that, uh, we got to watch out that, you know, humans can be behind the alien agenda like Warner Von Braun was using to bring on globalism, a new world government, that kind of thing. And that was a real thing, supposedly, that was said. Just wanted to know what he knew about that. All right. Thank you for the call. I know all about that, and you did a pretty good job of synthesizing what uh, Werner von Braun said, and I'm good friends with Carol Rosen, and she is a very credible person. And what he actually said was is that at the time the the uh, public enemy was communism, and he said, uh, but then when that doesn't work anymore, it'll be terrorism probably from the Middle East, and when that doesn't work anymore, it'll be a threat from space. And he said, but it's all phony. And the caller is absolutely right. I think we have to be very careful uh, because they are now developing such technology, such as holographic technology, that they could probably hoax a uh, alien invasion and scare us all to death and make us give up the last of our freedom so they can protect us, okay? So I think he has a really good point. Wow. So if there were an alien invasion and I got on the air to report about it, that might be just absolutely fake. Well, it could be. I think you'd have to just be very, very careful. It's the same thing. Well, you know, we just came off of 9-11. We all saw the same things, and we are all told the same things, and it all turns out, uh, according to the Senior Council of the 9-11 Commission, to be uh, entirely untrue. Well, it makes a person wonder what's real and what isn't in this world. Over to line three, you're on the air with Jim Mars. Welcome to the show. Hey, hello guys. Um, I, I just want to say uh, I was really excited about uh, tonight's topic, and um, you know uh, I'm really digging it. Uh, I appreciate your 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 input, your opinions, um, and everything said tonight. Uh, I believe uh, besides these uh, you know ancient dealings, um, that that you know you can't disregard uh, uh, you can't disregard history. You can't disregard a uh, uh, mass, whether whether you believe it or not. You know you have to you have to see that something that that uh that the system runs with and it's a matter of logistics which 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 allows for uh, uh you know such things like to happen as I, I rather than you know the 
the big name is fooling people, well, I, what I really believe what they're doing is that they're uh, fooling themselves because it is a matter of logistics. But, you know, besides, you know, besides that, I was wondering to ask Jim, what, what, what's his thought about the privatization of um, space travel? Uh-huh. You know, as, as, yeah, that, that, you know, I heard uh, that you guys were talking about the explosion with SpaceX, and I really wanted to get some insight. You know, I, I was really excited, and I really dig the, with the speaker. And what was your thoughts about the, you know, uh, private companies um, heralding this, this this new age idea of tra- space travel? Should it, should All right. All right. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate the call and appreciate the question. Uh, what do you think about the privatization of space travel, Jim? I think it's great because anytime there's free enterprise, anytime there's competition, uh, you know, the best man and the best product's going to win. So I'm all for it. The, the thing that, that, that kind of distresses me is that uh, the lack of enthusiasm and support that's been coming from NASA and our own government. Uh, they have actually, if you go look at it, uh, tried to throw roadblocks in, in the way of a lot of these uh, private companies that are trying to uh, get into space. Uh, and it's a real question of why would they do that? You know, mm-hmm. obviously NASA's given up on going to space, except for maybe a few probes. Uh, you know, why don't they let somebody else try? Mm-hmm. No, right. It's true, and it's a very good point. I heard that SpaceX was going to work with NASA on some projects, but that NASA drew you know a whole laundry list of conditions uh, in order for them to start collaborating. Yeah, strange oh, yeah. attached. You oh, know? yeah, you got and it. See, you know, the thing is, people don't realize that, but everybody knows we give away billions and billions of dollars every year to all these other countries. We're giving something in excess of $400 billion to Israel, you know. And we all know that. What we don't realize is is that all all of this stuff, there's strings attached there, too. Uh, for example, when all that money we give to Israel, a good portion of it uh, is uh, on the condition that they buy our weaponry, okay, our jet fighters, our tanks, okay? So uh, actually all it is, it's not largesse to other countries. It's corporate welfare, Okay, they're just making sales and getting money piped into our military industrial complex, which which takes up a whole lot more of our budget than anybody ever realizes or that they'll admit to. Oh, that they could even dream of Uh, amounts of money that to us, we can't even wrap our minds around how much money it truly is. I mean, think about it. Do you really know what a trillion dollars is? I'll admit it. I don't. I can't, I can't, I've tried to work on that, and I can't really even fathom it. It's just too much. Yeah, it sure is. Well, and tonight has been just a bit too much, and I wouldn't have had it any other way, Jim. Uh, so you brought up Battlefield Earth earlier in the conversation. Uh, where can people get that? I understand okay. there's a new uh, version yes. of it. Yes, uh, they've got a brand new version. It's really incredible, and it's uh, it's on sale at, of course, Amazon. You go to Battlefield Earth. Dot com. But what I want to mention is they have an audio book out on it right now, and this thing has 68 voice actors uh, speaking all the roles, 150,000 sound effects, uh, a full musical score. It's like a movie of the mind, you know. If you're going on a long trip or if you're going to have long commutes and you like to listen to audio books, boy, this is the one for you, I guarantee you. And you can learn more about that at BattlefieldEarth.com. You can also get my books and look at all of my stuff at jimmars.com 
Okay, and uh, uh, all every bookstore, it's all it's just out there. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, your mind's like a parachute. It works better when it's open. Uh, yes, it does, and it works better uh, when you kind of look at things through new eyes, and I hope that's what you've done by coming on the program tonight. But look, we're, we're going to have to do this again. i got to find you an opponent for a 9-11 debate, and there's so many things that you can talk about. Uh, just be prepared for me to be bugging you all the time about coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just... I just wish you on a little earlier. You're you're way past my bedtime. I'm surprised I'm still functional. <laughs> hey, don't worry about it. I will ship you some uh, very good coffee. So thank you, Jim. Okay, that sounds good. It's thank been you so a pleasure. Much, it's been a blast. Oh yeah, it has been, Jim Mars, everybody. And uh, I still have people on hold. I really wish we had time to get everybody on the air with Jim Mars. Uh, but look, he will be back on the program. At a future date, that I guarantee you. Uh, so, apologies to everybody who couldn't get on the air tonight, but I will catch you at the same place at the same time tomorrow night with another fascinating show, guaranteed. Um, you'll find out when the guest is announced on midnightinthedesert.com. Everybody, have a good night. Are we heeding all the signs? Have we lost our intuition? Are we running out of time? Midnight in the desert And we're listening Ooh, we're listening to you